concerned of a higher consciousness We're moving on the Mount Zion and the higher high No more will we moan and weave over this Babylon nonsense We've been sleeping but our skin can feel the warmth of the night Time to wake up It's been so long you sleep Welcome, friends, old and new alike. So good to see you again. Yes, I can see you. What else is this pineal for? What have you all been up to for the past five months? Hopefully you've been uplifting your consciousness and not getting dragged down by this 2016 selection cycle. I know I've been able to keep myself out of the drama for the most part, but still doesn't mean the last little bit here hasn't been extremely hectic for myself. Gone through quite a transition. I've moved a couple different times, found a lot of inner strength, I feel like I've grown up so much as a person, and really, I wouldn't trade all the struggles I've gone through for the past little bit here for anything, and I actually hope that all of you have gone through a little bit of internal strife, so that you feel like at this point in time, you are actually a better person than you were five months ago when I made the last podcast, because I know I sure am a lot better. Episode 3 has gone through quite a few different iterations since I started it a few months back, but instead of just fiddling with it and rearranging things or adding things, I'm just going to put it out there for you all to absorb and assimilate into your lives however you see fit. The crux of this episode, in my mind, is to help teach you all the trivium. The trivium is a tool which has added so much value in my life after learning about it probably about a year and a half ago. It's a systematic methodology to help you discern the truth. That's one of the biggest things that you can ever come across in your entire life. Because I know me personally, before really embarking on this adventure, I never could tell what has been true from what is false because there's just so much lies and illusions all around us. And how are you able to tell which is actually the truth from just another bullshit lie that you've been passed down from your parents, from their parents, from their parents? Let me give you a little teaser. The trivium is an internal vetting process for the information being presented to us at any given moment. In a sense, it's like a mental antivirus. When used properly, it can block out fallacious information from entering your own thought process, which is invaluable if you ask me. Because as I look out across the culture, fallacious thinking abounds. I know I've been guilty of it in the past, just spreading information that I never checked for myself, assuming that it was true, just because I like the sound of it. But you can't truly call yourself an awakened, conscious individual if all you're doing is parroting information that goes to further your viewpoint, even if it's not true. Which is why I implore anyone that listens to this podcast or follows me on social media to ever fact check anything that doesn't seem about right with anything that I ever put out. And let me know if I'm wrong about anything because... I'm just striving to get more in line with the truth and the reality of what's going on. And I don't want to be living in some false reality. We're going to be diving a little bit deeper into consciousness than just learning about the trivium today. Because there's been so much going on. 
so many awesome rants or interviews or analyses of current situations that I think you should all be made aware of. Oh, and if you like the new intro, it's called Time to Wake Up by Mike Love. And instead of dragging this monologue longer than it needs to go, I think it's about time to embark on our voyage. I love you all, Waking Lifers, and I'll see you on the other side. Getting to the underlying causality, the causal factors, the nature of the problem, so that we can reverse it from there. What we have to understand is essentially what the trivium is. The trivium is a pathway to truth. It is the methodology for knowing how to learn or know anything. How to determine the veracity of information. How to weed through falsehoods and eliminate those impurities so we don't take them in as mental food. That's essentially what the trivium is. Then based on that accurate information... We can come to understand meaning in things. We could answer the question, why? And then in answering that question, why, we become empowered to act, to actually create true, positive, and lasting change in our lives. This is the way that we can improve ourselves. And ultimately, it has to do with the improvement of the mind. The trivium is intricately and inextricably interwoven with the human psyche and our ability to improve the quality of our mental, psychological, and spiritual well-being. So let's first, of course, look at the word, okay, because everything starts with that vibratory energy of the word. Why is this the word for this methodology? And there's a very deep reason it's named what it is called, trivium. Trivium comes from the Latin language. And before before we do this, let's just um, talk about the origin of the trivium, okay? People will trace its origin back to medieval times. They'll trace it back further to ancient Rome, even further to ancient Greece. Some people will go so far as to trace it back to ancient Egypt. The trivium comes out of some of the most ancient mystery school traditions in human antiquity. I would say it goes, it predates ancient Egypt. In small pockets, humanity has known and used this technique, this methodology for discovering truth about anything since time immemorial. So I would say its origin is actually lost to antiquity. We don't know how old the trivium method actually is. Although some people will claim it's from different periods in human history, and that's fine. I would be of the opinion that it is actually much older than anything that anyone has stated on record. And it goes right back to the dawn of civilization on this planet. So the word trivium, we're looking at slide number four on the What on Earth is Happening radio show page now. The word trivium comes from the Latin language. 
Okay, its English equivalency is derived from Latin. The Latin word tres or tria, okay, means three, the number three. Okay, and you can see that root in so many different things. Trinary, the word three itself is derived from tres, tria, okay? And then the second part of trivium is via, okay, via, vi in Latin. Via in Latin means a way, a path, or a road, okay? So we also use the term way to describe a method. That's the way to do something, okay? It also means you start at one location and then you travel to a destination, That's what a path is for. It connects to places. So what we want to connect is where we're at now in the human condition, and we want to actually travel to the truth. We want to get to the underlying causes, the true underlying causes of our current condition so that we can become empowered to change it. So what trivium really means is the three paths, the three roads, or the three ways. You could look at it as the three methods, okay? I've named it here the threefold path to the truth on this image. The threefold path to truth. As we've seen, three is a sacred number in just about every ancient mystical tradition. Thought, emotion, and action, as we saw, is the real trinity within us. In many ancient religions, up into the modern day, we see this um, thread throughout time of a trinity representing something deeper. You know, whether it's called the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, whether it's the sun, the moon, and the stars and planets, or whether it's thought, emotion, and action. This concept of threefold, we have three brains, the reptile, the mammal, and the human, the triune brain, which we've talked about so much. The concept of the three in one, okay, The one overarching methodology that is capable of helping us to learn how to know anything, to weed through falsehoods, to come to truth. It's ultimately three methods which all bring us to the same place at the center, which represents the truth. Okay? So... The trivium itself is actually part of a larger threefold method or a threefold path. And I put that on image number five, slide number five. The trivium works in conjunction with something known as the quadrivium. The quadrivium, which means four methods or four paths, four roads, okay, These ultimately form the sacred number seven, as you could see readily. Three plus four is seven, another sacred number. 
seven gods of the ancient world, the seven chakras, okay? The seven steps on the ladder to God, the tree of life. Levels on that path, on that symbol. So the quadrivium or the fourfold path is the quantification methods that are used in conjunction with the trivium. These are the, the sciences of measurement. Numbers play a huge role in the quadrivium. And we'll be talking more about the quadrivium next week. That'll be the topic for discussion next week. We'll look into the quadrivium. Okay? We're also going to have some guests coming up that are going to talk about the trivium and quadrivium. And I'll be mentioning that probably next week on the show. Awaiting confirmation. So, the trivium and the quadrivium work in conjunction. They both work in conjunction with our five senses. Okay? The five senses are the bridge between these two sciences. These two methodologies. Ancient methodologies. These are the two methods that help our five senses come into harmony with truth. That's what needs to be understood. We are using these as methodologies to bring our awareness through our senses to bring our awareness into harmony with truth. So perception is not reality. It can waver widely off from what reality actually is, from what the truth is. The truth is just that which is. And again, this brings us to the point where I have to talk about the idea, concept of what I mean by the word truth. And people argue constantly about this. You have this solipsistic thread that people are still hooked on solipsism. And I said from day one, this show would not be for everyone and many people will reject it out of hand from just show one. It would not even go any further than that. And there are people to this day who still email me and talk about the concepts I brought up in early shows about solipsism and are in complete disagreement. Oh, there is no actual such thing as truth. We can't actually know what the truth is. Well, that's where you, you set foot off the journey from the very beginning. You were never on the path. Because if you don't believe that there is any such thing as truth, you will never discover it. You have to believe that you can learn the truth first and foremost. You have to have that hunger, that desire within you. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Jumping right back into the trivium, how it connects with our five senses, and how it is a threefold pathway to truth. And the idea that people don't believe that there is any such thing as actual truth, that we cannot come to know what truth is. And nobody is talking about here knowing the totality of the mind of God. That's not what I'm talking about when I use the word truth. I'm talking about events which have actually occurred. Learning about what is taking place. 
which is why I called the show called the show What on Earth is Happening. To know about what is happening, what is taking place in our reality, in the realm in which we exist and operate. You, you want to get into other dimensions of existence and, you know, new age ideas like that, fine. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm not talking about knowing the totality of every dimension and every timeline and every planet that exists in, in the universe. I'm talking about the here and now. Being here and being in the present moment and knowing what's going on around you. That truth. That truth. And it's knowable. It is knowable through the study of the past. It is knowable through taking in information and properly gathering and processing and using it. That is possible. So if you're a solipsist, the show was not for you on day one and certainly at this point will not be for you. That is something that I call the biggest lie and if people buy into that one, they'll buy into any lie. That's what the dark force wants people thinking at all times. I talked about it as to Satanists, it is the biggest sin because they want to propagate solipsism to everybody but them. So therefore they can get everyone else to believe that there is no truth, but they know what the truth is. See, to them, for them, solipsism is a sin. That's something that a dark occultist should not engage in should frown upon but it is something that he should attempt to sell to the dead as they call people who believe in this concept of solipsism this ideology once again we're talking about perception as not being reality but it could come into harmony with reality we're not perceiving at all times what the actual reality is we have filters on Okay, that veil us from an accurate perception of reality. The idea of the trivium is to attempt to, it's a methodology for removing those filters to be able to see the truth as it actually is, readily accept it, and then do something about it. Do something with it. Get involved. Step into the slipstream of active co-creation. So, when we look at what the trivium is and we take a look at how it has, I guess you could say evolved or how it has been interpreted through time, there are three general interpretations or overall ways of looking at what the trivium is. Okay, and I've called these in slide number six, the classical interpretation, the esoteric interpretation, and the modern interpretation of the trivium methodology. Okay, because again, this information on how to acquire knowledge, understand it, and then do something with it has been with us again since time immemorial. So... There have been different ways of looking at this system. The classical method is probably the one that most people are fam f most familiar with in the words that are used to describe this threefold process or method. And again, 
The order of the steps are all important. They matter. That's why I put numbers here on this chart. You can't take them out of order. You take them out of order, you destroy the entire methodology. And it will not work for you or anyone else. And that's why some dark occultists have attempted to reverse this process, to take some of them out of order and exchange, interchange them. And that you can't do that. Okay, that's like, you know, trying to eat your sandwich before you make it. You have to make the sandwich first, then you could eat it. Okay, so the first step in the classical interpretation of the trivium is known as grammar. And we'll get to what these represent in a moment. The second step is logic and the third is rhetoric. So in the classical interpretation, you will hear the trivium referred to as grammar, logic, and rhetoric in that order, okay? In the esoteric interpretation, which is the one I generally, um, I, I don't even want to use the word use. I mean, you're using the same method regardless of how you look at it. I look at the trivium as this form, as knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, Knowledge corresponding to the first step, or grammar in the classical tradition. Understanding corresponding to logic, or the second step, the intermediary step. And then wisdom corresponding to rhetoric, the third and final step. There is also a modern interpretation of the trivium method. And this is the one I'm probably going to spend the most time explaining. Because you can use a very um, accurate metaphor for it in real world terms that people will readily understand. We're going to look a little bit into the esoteric uh, modality, I guess you could call it, but I'm going to focus on explaining the trivium today through the modern interpretation. And this is input, processing, and output. Input corresponding to grammar or knowledge, processing corresponding to step two or logic and understanding, okay, and output is the third and final step corresponding to rhetoric or what has been called wisdom in the esoteric sense. And this, as you will see, all has to do with information, the input of information, the processing of information, and then the subsequent output of information in that order. So these are the three ways that the trivium could be looked at can be interpreted, you know, can be um, uh, seen as modalities or methodologies, okay? I want to show people how this knowledge is quite ancient because we've looked at the esoteric tradition of the Kabbalah in the past on this show. We did several shows on Kabbalah, and we saw that its main symbol, which I've already alluded to today, was the Tree of Life with its seven levels it's 22 paths, it's 10 uh, sephirot, or emanations. And we've broken these down in the past to help people understand the correspondences. What we have to understand is that at just about the highest level of the Kabbalistic tree of life, as this symbol is known, we have the three methods of the trivium corresponding to the trivium. 
See, when you, when you climb this tree or this ladder to God, as it is known in the Kabbalistic tradition, as we've already looked into on past shows, you follow this path that I've outlined here in red on image number seven. We're looking at image number seven now. And this path okay, follows up from the bottom from Malkuth, which is, which is um, Sephirah number 10, okay? up through Yesod to Hod to Netzah. So if you look at the numbers, we're going backwards from 10 to 9 to 8 to 7, okay? Then through Tiferet in the middle to 6, and then uh, Geburah at 5, and then we're back to the right side at 4, okay? The sphere of Hesed. Okay, now, from that point, we are going to pass through three other spheres Okay, one of them is not considered an actual sephirah or an emanation. It is considered, I guess you could call it the source. You could call it the thing from which the tree of life springs, from which it grows. It is known as da'at. Okay, da'at is knowledge, the hidden emanation. Okay, and this is the first step of the trivium method. We then ascend to Binah, which is understanding, the second step esoterically, and finally to Hokmah, wisdom. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Welcome back, everyone. We're into the second hour already of this edition of What on Earth is Happening. I'm going to give the call-in number again because I'm going to try to wrap up in this segment the uh, esoteric aspect of the trivium as cor- as it corresponds to the uh, Kabbalistic Tree of Life. And um, then uh, I'll be looking in this hour at the modern interpretation of the trivium and explaining uh, the method of information, input, processing, and output, which is essentially what the trivium is. So the call-in number, uh, after that, we'll take calls for the remainder of the show. So uh, the call-in number is 866-841-1065. Once again, the call-in number, 866-841-1065. Have a couple of callers lined up in the queue, so feel free to call in and get in the queue yourself if you have any questions, comments, or uh, anything else that you want to bring up on the show here today. Uh, and we, we are limiting this uh, to the trivium. We want to talk about the trivium today. Again, we have a specific topic for today. We're talking about the trivium. So callers in the queue, let's uh, keep it on, on topic and uh, on focus. So here we go. We were looking at, before this uh, last break, the esoteric interpretation of the trivium as knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Okay, so knowledge we've seen is the the sphere of Da'at that lies behind the tree of life, from which the tree of life grows. Okay, Um, the idea that uh, this word is connected in uh, its actual sound with the English word dot is not insignificant. Okay, Uh, a dot is a point, a singularity. It's one thing, okay, from which everything springs, 
okay? It is a period, and this word is period, period, okay? Through the yod, the yod character in Hebrew, as we've already seen, represents, means hand, and it represents fire, the fire of creation, the hand of God, the hand of the creator, which fashions everything, from which everything springs. So this isn't an insignificant wordplay coincidence. I would suggest that it's not even a coincidence, okay? But as we're going to the highest rung, we're ascending to the highest rung on the tree of life, okay? The one that uh, lies just underneath Keter, the crown, unity consciousness. We are passing through, okay, from the sphere of mercy has said, through Da'at, knowledge, okay, to understanding, which is sphere number three, Sephirah three, which is Binah, which means understanding. Then to the one that is closest to the crown, to Keter, which is wisdom, Hokmah. Again, these three paths themselves, you'll notice that there is one um, sphere on each of the path, paths of the Kabbalistic tree. We start out at the middle one, then go to, uh, which is the, the path of mildness or will, then we go to the path of the left-hand path, which is the path of severity, and then t- over to the right-hand path, the path of mercy, which then gets us up to that uh very top sephirah, which represents unity consciousness or uh, non-duality. And this is the path that can get us there from knowledge to understanding to wisdom in that order. And I can't stress that enough. Order plays a role in this. It is what leads ultimately to order is following this order or this path, this threefold path known as the trivium, which is represented so beautifully here in the Kabbalistic tree. And I would suggest that this tradition probably predates the trivium, and that's where the trivium has grown out of. So we'll continue with this on the other side. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. They'll never be able to stop a group of people who actually possess the answer to the question why. That is what the trivium can actually help us gain. Because without why, there is no power. And things will remain just as they are and probably even spiral into a worse condition. Until we identify the real causal factors, that's where the problem-solving ability lies. So, we were looking at the esoteric aspects of the trivium and where this tradition may have derived from. Again, this is ancient Kabbalistic knowledge. This is the ancient knowledge of all esoteric mystery school traditions. 
You can see that in Freemasonry, the trivium and quadrivium are made reference to quite extensively in any good Masonic works. And if they're true esoteric works of Freemasonry, they will not be taken out of order as well, which you will often see this horrendous mistake being made in certain Freemasonic uh, schools if it is not a deliberate deception to do so. The, um, <clears throat> the other thing is you have to understand that the trivium also represents, just like the Kabbalistic tree here, we're showing the uh, three steps of it represented in the three spheres that you arrive at on the path upward uh, up the tree uh, before you r arrive at unity consciousness represented by Keter, non-duality, the total unification of one's thoughts, emotions, and actions. This, this corresponds directly to the Freemasonic pillars that are depicted in the first degree tracing board as well. Okay? So coming up out of the dark of the dark pillar is coming into knowledge. Okay? Then um, understanding. Okay? Bridging knowledge and action. Before you're taking actual action using the male principle, you have to fill yourself up. The desire has to be there of the lunar pillar. And you're filling yourself with information. Then you're processing it. You're coming to awareness represented by the middle pillar, the all-seeing eye. Then you're putting it into action. You're actually ascending upward. And that's the, the stepwise process of the ladder starts at the right uh, pillar moves to the left in that tracing board and you can go back onto the Freemasonry shows and take a look at that and see how that correspondence fits in perfectly with the trivia method as well knowledge understanding and wisdom the first three degrees of Freemasonry are all about this ladies and gentlemen the entered apprentice degree of Freemasonry is about taking off your blinders and the fact that you have to be led to knowledge with an open mind okay you you have to be practically dragged to it because you've been resistant to it and you've been hoodwinked but now they're the blinders are coming off and you're letting some light in the degree the rituals of the first degree entered apprentice so this is coming into knowledge. The second degree is about the spiral staircase going into the temple of knowledge itself. Processing information, actual learning taking place. And it's a spiral staircase that you have to follow. You don't know what the actual outcome is yet. You have to get to the top for that vista to open up and the whole picture be revealed. On the way up, you don't actually see it. You're still doing that upward ascension that is often looks like it's a, a circle or a spiral, spiraling process, but you're actually spiraling upward. And then you've arrived at the top of that spiral staircase, which means you have understanding in hand. You understand causal factors. You have the answer to the question, why? Now you're empowered. And the third degree, or master mason, is mastery over oneself, coming into unison between your thoughts and emotions and your actions, such that your actions don't betray 
what you know and how you feel. And then its symbol is the trowel, this degree. And you're using it to actually spread what you have come into possession of, which is actual wisdom. That's what the act of wisdom is all about. Putting it out there so that others may partake of the same thing you have. Knowledge and understanding are not yours exclusively. They don't belong to you. These are states you may have reached, but then you have a responsibility to put that into action, which is the rhetoric stage. We're going to get to this in detail. I'm going to go through, again, that's all I really want to say about how the correspondences with esoteric traditions fit in with the trivium. You can clearly see it if you've been able to follow what I just went through as far as Kabbalah and Freemasonry is concerned. But what I really want to do in this hour is talk about the modern method of the trivium, the modern interpretation, which is information input processing and output. And this one, again, the modern student can readily understand these terms because we use them all the time, every day, and most people out there listening are probably using some form of a computer, a device which does just this. And regardless of how much people want to ignore this or make pretend that it isn't true, essentially, that's what everything is here, folks. It's a big computer. We're in a, we're in a holog- holodeck. We're in a holographic simulation of sorts so that consciousness can have experience. This is all a huge computer program at the highest level, at the most unified fundamental level. That's what consciousness is. It's something that creates scenarios that we can feel as and perceive as real enough such that we can acquire experience. Because again, in the absence of something which the pure consciousness is not, it can never know itself. It can never come to know anything. So this illusory realm has to be created in order to acquire experience and knowledge of itself, of the the all itself. And that's why we're in this holodeck to have an experience in the physical domain. So, this is like a computer. It operates like a computer. We operate like a computer, essentially. And I, I'm qualifying this with the term essentially. It doesn't mean we are a computer. It doesn't mean that there's no part of us other than the computing aspect of us. I'm saying essentially we operate like a computer, Okay, we take in information based on our perceptions, based in things other people have told us, based on direct experiences. We then process that information to develop it into a worldview or an understanding of how things actually work. And then we act. Our behaviors are based upon that input of information and that processing of information. So we're going to look at this closely on the other side and we'll talk about examples of what if the input is bad. What if the gathering process is bad? What if the processing itself is bad? What happens to the output? Pick this up on the other side. This is What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Let's jump right back into our study of the trivia and how it can actually help us to uncover the hidden truths of our world so that we can actually start taking action once we understand the causal factors that got us to this dark place that we are collectively at. So in image number eight on the radio show page of whatonearthishappening.com or with this podcast, you'll see that I put the modern interpretation, you could call it, of the trivium process or method and listed it as input, processing, and output, which we're going to continue to talk about. And underneath that, I put what this is all, all equates to, what it's all actually about. The trivium is ultimately about the input, processing, and output of information, which is ultimately what everything is. Everything is a form of information and energy. But if we look at the word information, okay, it's the word form is the root of this word, form, okay? And in order to form a different reality, a different way that things actually manifest themselves, this is the method that we have to employ, proper information input, proper information processing, and proper information output. And ultimately where that is all done is within ourselves. That's why it's in formation. If we break it down further, we can say in form at I on. Or in other words, to turn, and this is again, green language. People will Doubt and dismiss this, even though there's hundreds of examples throughout the English language where words, just by breaking them apart into their phonetic, not their um, actual um, necessary meaning, but into their phonetic um, components, we can understand what a word is actually saying to us. The actual vibratory energy of the word is a language unto itself that often encodes deeper meaning. We've looked at the term um, money in this respect being the one eye, okay, which they want to sell to people as an illusion of the uh, the real thing as a, um, a proxy for the real one eye inside of us. And information is saying in form at I on meaning to turn the one eye on, okay, to actually turn on the all-seeing eye within us, we have to inwardly form ourselves through this process. We are creating ourselves. We are creating the essence of who we are by what kind of information we take in, by how we process it accurately or inaccurately and then by what we actually do based upon those two previous parts of this triune method the output is ultimately what is really defining who we are because the input and processing is determining our worldview 
And then the output is determining our behavior and how we treat other people and how we act toward others. The way that we are in this world, how we exist, our being in the world is ultimately a function of the output. So, And that is a function of how accurately we gathered and processed the information that is all around us. Some people do it very effectively and therefore their output can be toward higher levels of order and greater success and prosperity and a lack of suffering in their lives. And some people, when they fail at this entire process, they go into deeper and deeper and deeper chains and more and more suffering. And that's what the place that we've come to as a society through our inability to follow this methodology because this methodology has been occulted. The occultists of this world do not want people to understand the trivium. It's one of the last things they ever want you looking into. They want to keep this information deeply hidden or occulted. Because if you truly learn how to think, <coughs> excuse me, and come to accurate analysis of the information that is around us, you are then empowered to change it. And that's the last thing they want happening because they want to stay in the position of power that they have gained through this differential in knowledge by keeping the method for learning from their slaves. That's why the trivium is a completely, uh, uh, it's a topic that has been essentially removed from human consumption for the most part. Most people have never heard the word. They don't understand what the trivium is at all. They have never heard it and they know nothing about it. Just try to find out, just do an experiment and ask people around you if they know what the trivium is and, and can explain it to you. Hardly anyone can. And there's a reason for that. So let's look at the trivium, the modern uh, interpretation of it as information input processing and output. And we will recognize this as the three steps that any computer performs. Okay, Because essentially the brain acts like a human computer, a biological computer. Image 9 shows an image of a computer system. Okay, And we can see that it has input devices, pro a processing device, and an output device, and output devices, okay? So the input device, or devices, I should say, shown here by the light blue arrows, okay, is the keyboard and mouse. These are known as input devices. Go on any computer store, and you'll find mice and keyboards under input devices, okay? Another type of input device might be a scanner, an externally connected hard drive, used for storage, the internet itself is a form of an input device in the modern world because that's someplace we can take information into the computer through our internet connection. Okay, so these are ways of inputting information into a computer. The hard drive stores it. Okay, that's like the memory capacity of the brain. All right, then it is processed and that's what determines how good a computer basically is. This all-important step two, you know, to put information into a computer is one thing, but the all-important step is the third part, 
uh, the second part and the third part. But the second part is critical, critically important because if your computer doesn't have processing power, you can't do anything with any information. It doesn't matter how much you gather. And if it can't accurately process the information, it'll just spit garbage in the output phase. Your computer is only as good as its processor and the processor's ability to accurately handle the information you are throwing at it. So this is the problem with the people of this planet. They basically have damaged internal processing units, central processing units. The CPU of the computer is often called the brain of the computer. So this is what we are using our brain to do. Input information, process it in the brain, and then output it, which actually determines our behavior. And as you know, with any computer, if junk goes in through the input, okay, only junk can come through the output. Junk in, junk out. Good stuff in, good stuff out. It's a simple equation. Too bad more people haven't simply thought about it on these terms. They try to overcomplicate things. We'll keep looking at the modern method of the trivia. Input, processing, and output when we come back. Don't go anywhere, folks. Looking for great. We're back, everyone. Looking at the trivium from the modern interpretation, from the modern viewpoint on this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Image 9 showed an image of a generic computer system. Um, This is not my particular computer system. Uh, It's just an image I found of a computer system online. And... um, It shows the input devices, the processing unit, and then the output devices being the screen and the printer. These are ways of sharing information. Looking at the data on screen, you could share it with someone else. Uh, You could print it out on your printer. Okay. Uh, The internet is also an output device because you could take information that you have processed and then send it back up to the internet. So the internet acts as both an input and an output device in the modern world. And that's why it is so useful for really coming uh, to uh, this knowledge and understanding. So let's look at what ultimately the trivium is step by step. In image number 10, we see the three steps of the trivium, again in the modern format, input, processing, and output in that order, listed as steps one, two, and three. I've put the other names in the classical and esoteric systems underneath them. So input is also grammar or knowledge, okay? It's the building blocks of data that we're working with, okay? So we are gathering these building blocks, gathering the raw data from an eclectic array of sources. Eclectic means widely varied, okay? You have to take it all in as much as you can anyway. And do this without prejudging the information, So this could be considered the right-brained modality within the trivium. It's having that open-mindedness, that receptiveness that is so powerful in the right brain, okay? Because 
we need to have an open mind and take in data without judging it with the analytical mind. First and foremost, that's the first step toward acquiring knowledge and understanding. The input, once we have acquired it, will help us to answer the questions who, what, when, and where. This is our raw data set. Okay, so this is fairly easy to follow. This is what we do with the computer, and this is ultimately what we do with our brain. Okay, the input. Gathering data from an eclectic array of sources without prejudging it in order to answer the questions who, what, when, and where. The raw data. We're taking in the raw data without judging it. Okay? Step number two is the processing, and this is all important. Now, before we get to step two, let me say why people never usually make it to step two. Most people on the earth don't make it to step two in any form of, in any way that resembles any accurate information processing at all. It's because there is so much of the building blocks, the grammar, the words, the raw data set, the knowledge itself. We are drowning in a sea of knowledge, in a sea of grammar, in a sea of these building blocks of information. There is so much in the world because there are so many people and so much has been created and written and and uh, put out there in different forms of media. Most people are so daunted by the task of even doing the input at all because it takes work and time. And they're even more daunted by the first sub-step of part two, which we're going to get to in a moment, the filtration system of the weeding out process of information which isn't viable or isn't necessary or is just patently false and you know, is put out there as distraction or disinformation or actually has nothing to do with the solving of the problem that we really want to solve by even taking data in. It's irrelevant data. There's so much trash data in the system, okay? Useless files, so to speak, on the computer that people don't want to weed through it to go to like a needle in a haystack to get down to what they really need. So most people don't even go through step one because they say, oh, the truth is such a needle in a haystack, we'll never find it. Some people believe there is no such thing as truth, which we've already talked about this dangerous and false ideology of solipsism. So part two, processing, which is also logic, okay, in the classical interpretation and understanding in the esoteric sense, processing is comprised of three sub-steps, and I've identified these as filtration, correlation, and analysis of data. So first, the data has to be filtered. So now, now this is what the processor of the computer is doing. Once the information has been gathered, which is step one, data gathering, then we can filter it and say, this is irrelevant data. This does not have to do with what we are trying to get to. It's maybe a distraction, a form of disinformation. We could apply different techniques to do that, okay? Fallacy uh, understanding techniques to understand logical fallacies, okay? So this filtration system you could look at as the antivirus 
or the malware protector that is installed in a computer to make sure in the gathering process, in the, pro in the part where it uh, comes into the computer through input, that viruses don't get in to the mix. Okay, so that would be filtration. And that's a huge task in the modern world because there is so much false information out there. So we have to have our virus guards installed properly within ourselves so that information which will make us sick doesn't get taken in as mental food. Okay, the second part of the processing is correlation. This is how to group information and see the connections between seemingly disparate sources of information or chunks of information. It is data assembly. Okay? That's what this part of the processing aspect of the trivium is all about. Finally, there is analysis that is actually going through the data to understand how it is of relevance and how it does connect with the thing that we are trying to get to or understand. That's what the whole process of understanding is about. Data analysis, accurate data analysis. The processor has to be able to compute properly. And again, this ties in with, with health because if the central computer of ourselves is our brain, okay, it, it's the thing that helps us to process information, we have to be in good health. The five senses have to be sharp, sight, sight hearing, smell, taste, and touch, to be able to accurately bring in data from the external world around us, the seemingly external world around us, okay? So food fits into this in a huge way in being able to do this process, okay? The form, getting out of the forms of mind control that we're under through this process of filtration is a huge part of the process. The, da the data filter or the virus protection, okay? So... This is where the quadrivium comes in in a big way in the, in the processing stage, okay? Because this is the methods that help us to properly quantify our data sets, all right? Th these, are, these four methodologies are arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. In that order, once again, the order is critical to know and to keep in mind and to observe so these are four quantification methods which go hand in hand with the trivium method and the five senses. We're going to talk about the quadrivium next week. We're going to have guests on that are going to give their understanding of, of the trivium and how it works to expand on what I've laid out here and we'll be laying out next week. So we'll be looking at this topic for several weeks, probably four or five weeks, okay? And we're just coming off natural law, which we covered for like 10 weeks or so. So the, the, these are two of the biggest parts of the solution. The understanding of natural law and the application of the trivium method. All right. So what does the step two or processing part of the trivium help us to be able to do? Simply put, it helps us to learn the why behind anything. What that character in the Matrix talked about as the source of power. We have to know why things are the way that they are. Get down to the causal factors. The causal realm is where problems are addressed, are identified, addressed, and ultimately solved from. 
never from the realm of manifestation, that is putting bandages on self-inflicted wounds and never addressing the underlying psychological reasons that those wounds are being inflicted in the first place. So the question why answers what is the reason, the meaning, or the purpose of something. I can't encourage people enough to go back and check out that video from podcast number 82, Neo Meets the Merovingian. The why is what we have to get to. That is understanding, and that is where power lies. We'll be right back, folks. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after these words. Okay, we are back. Last segment for this edition of What on Earth is Happening here today. Boy, the time flies. Time really flies when you're uh, trying to explain some of the most deeply occulted information that has been held back from the people of a planet in order to turn them into slaves. I'll tell you that. So let's wrap up these last three slides and then go to the phones. And uh, I apologize for taking so long to get to the phones. I will make it up to you guys. I'm going to get to some calls before this segment is out, but I'll make it up to you. We'll do a whole call-in show about the trivia. Maybe that's how we'll handle it in the solutions section. For every solution, we'll do a call, a whole call-in show about that particular solution. I think that would be a, a nice uh, practice to start, okay? So, because uh, I don't want to totally, you know, ignore callers and uh you know, just uh, keep putting putting that off. So let's see how this segment goes, and we'll hopefully get to some calls before the end of the show. So we looked at input and processing steps one and two. Step three here on slide number 10 is output, which is also rhetoric or wisdom. And I have uh, explained this by calling it speech and action that is based upon the knowledge that one has gathered and understands. Okay, speech and action based upon knowledge that one has gathered and also understands. So you have the raw data, okay, and you have an accurate understanding of that data set. You have weeded out the impurities and you have come to an understanding of what it means or its purpose. Therefore, you can now speak and act based upon that knowledge and understanding. So this all has to do with affecting the world around us through our speech and action. Okay, that's why it's the third step. It is related to spreading or helping to propagate knowledge and understanding, which is the, this is probably as important, if not more important than the other two steps, because if you don't put it back out there, how is anybody else going to come to that awareness and understanding? We, we have to create sort of a feedback loop of this system where we keep putting information back into the system until it becomes common sense and second nature and readily understandable by people. And that's where we've gone wrong. The world is largely silent when it comes to matters of truth. People are too afraid of what people will think of them or how it will inconvenience <clears throat> how it will inconvenience their lives from a selfish point of view. 
So ultimately, the output phase is the how behind it all. And how simply means the method by which something is accomplished. Because that's what we're looking for. The method to do something. The method to free the mind. And that's what the trivium is. The trivium is how knowledge and understanding are propagated so that real and positive change can be created. This is the third step. The output. Wisdom. The the acquisition of wisdom is coming to know how knowledge and understanding can be applied and propagated so that real, true, positive change can come about. Or in other words, how to create the solution to any given problem that may be presenting itself. That is what we can do with the trivium and why it is one of the most important solutions-based approaches that we can take to the current human condition. Now, one thing I want to say before we get to the phones is in slide number 11, I'm talking about direction and how this relates to the trivium because the trivium is three ways, three methods, or three roads that they converge. They converge on the truth. And I want to in almost a harsh and caustic way, attempt to obliviate a new age concept, a new age idea, an ideology in the new age movement that, and people who consider themselves teachers have said this, and I wholeheartedly, resoundingly reject it. They've said that you should never ever use the words you should to anyone. And you know what this is? This is utter new age bunk is what it is. This is pure right-brained imbalance. See, we talked about the first step right of right-brained input being open and receptive. The left brain aspect is the processing a- aspect. And then the output method is a holistic brain process in which you can't be too forgiving and you can't be too left-brained and violent with it, okay? You have to walk a balance. To say you should never use the words you should is to deny that you yourself have come to any kind of knowledge or understanding about anything. And I think that's lying to yourself if indeed you have come to knowledge and understanding about something. See, if you know how a person should get from one place to another. If they're coming and saying, this is where I want to go, and I know I'm not there. And people, you could say, oh, they don't ask. Everybody is asking how to really get to the place where they don't suffer. Because there is not one person that will go up to you and say, I want to suffer. No one. If somebody actually came up and convincingly, and I... They could get me to a point where I could believe that they genuinely want to suffer. Then I would say, that's on you. That's your free will decision. And you don't need to know any of this. Just go right on ahead with what you're doing. But no one makes that claim. Everybody makes the claim, I want to be free. I want to have the things that I desire. I want not to suffer. I don't want to be in suffering. Therefore, they're asking, how do I get to a place? Whether they 
consciously or physically ask it or not, that's what the people of this world are asking, even if it's a silent form of a question. They're saying, do you know how to get there? And if the answer is yes, I do know how to get there, then you should have no qualms about using the words you should. No more than if someone came up to you and said, how do I get to the intersection of this road and this road? And you have been there many times and you know exactly how to get there from where they're standing or from where their car is at. And you say, yes, if it is true that you want to get there, you should travel in this direction, maybe turn at this intersection, travel in this direction some more, and then you will arrive at your destination that you stated you want to be at. And you're not there right now. So this new age idea of that you should never use this phrase, you should, because you're dancing around other people's ego, I wholeheartedly and resoundingly reject it. And so should you. So I'll end that point on that note. And I'll end this whole uh, section on the trivium with saying, with a quote from the great teacher Terence McKenna, who talked about grammar, who talked about information that surrounds us and that we inwardly form ourselves with. McKenna was a wordsmith like no other. And one of his statements was that the world is made of words. And if you know the words that the world is made of, you can make of it whatever you wish. Think about that in relation to the trivium, the knowledge, the grammar, the words, taking it in, processing it accurately, then outputting it in a way that can help us to affect true lasting change and put the solution into practice through wisdom. Terence McKenna never fails to amaze me. The world is made of words, and that if you know the words that the world is made of, you can make of it whatever you wish. My obsessive, eclectic perspective mixed with an articulate, philosophic expression based on research in the halls of the Akashic Records makes me so objective you think my ideas are subjective or pretentious without the knowledge of the trivium for your mental defenses. The quadrivium relates number to your senses so you can see the Pythagorean theorem in its existence. Three laws of learning to guide you through four essential subjects while using five senses equates to the first of Pythagoras's triplets. Proof you should be well versed in arithmetic and geometry. Music and cosmology round out the seven liberal arts, but to see you'll need the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of the first three. Through grammar, logic, and rhetoric, I can spot thoughts that are phantasmagoric and seek truths that are recolted through lies that are universally categoric. Universities deceive youths for a century, this shit is abhorrent. I see psilocybin, savory, sweet, soft symphonies, and telepathically torrent, which is to say when I meditate, tripping balls, synesthesia becomes rationally important. Informing the performer the world's not a stage, this isn't a performance. There's a universe in our minds barely explored, so go explore it! The universe is inside our heads, our head is outside the universe. That's gotta be inside my head or I wouldn't be aware of it. I've got a model of it inside my head. Now inside that model of the studio is a model of me. And on top of the model of me is a model of my head. But that's not my real head. My real head contains the studio and my body and this model of the head. 
And the same with the whole universe. That the whole universe is a model contained in my head, which contains a model of my head. So I've got two heads, the head outside the universe and the head inside the universe. The tragedy in hope is trying to show you how to think properly, how to think critically using this ordered methodology called and the two things, You know, be be an autodidact. What's the word? Auto autodidact. An autodidactic learner means uh, somebody who learns uh, for themselves, who is able to self-learn. So essentially an autodidact could teach themselves auto mechanics or how to fix a computer by going through the steps and logically following the grammar and then uh, they could actually, once they've mastered that skill, they could use their rhetoric then to teach someone else that skill. So the trivium in that regard is, is a very useful tool in, uh, in not only critically thinking and identifying logical fallacies, but in helping you become autodidactic auto so that you can teach yourself anything that you want. And that removes a huge layer of uncertainty from our lives because one of the things we come across is, is our dependencies. We depend on so many other people and there's a lot of conveniences offered to make us lose our independency. And uh, when you have the trivium, you actually gain a lot of your independency back because you're no longer afraid of the unknown. It gives you a self-esteem, you know, it gives you this control, if you will, you know, not in, a, not in a negative way, but in a way in which it empowers you with the tools of, of thinking. And we'll be having more shows on this topic. But one of the main points of the trivium that people need to look at is critical thinking and uh, inductive versus deductive reasoning. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, I think everybody's born with a kind of version of inductive critical thinking. That's where, you know, if you burn your hand on a, on a plate when you're two years old, you're probably going to remember not to touch that plate again. Yeah, because man, that hurts. You've learned. Um, and so that's, that's kind of built into all of us as human beings, which thank goodness, you know. Um, whereas the deductive version is something that uh, people develop an understanding of more around the age of puberty, as Gino Dennings talked about, understanding this this trivium-based method of critical thinking, which is essentially analyzing the grammar, using the logic to remove all contradictions, and then using uh, the art of rhetoric to communicate the idea that you've now gained, you know, uh, logic and understanding from. So, if you're to go forward and uh, apply this methodology of critical thinking that is complementary to your inductive uh, version of critical thinking that we all have, then what it is is like a super virus scanner for your mind. So when you're watching uh, the news or you're getting afflicted by corporate advertising, it no longer uh, is able to burrow itself into your subconscious mind as effectively because you've now got this, this kind of filter that allows that stuff to be you know, put, discarded in the trash bin of your mind. And your mind is like a, pro a computer, if you will. It's constantly uploading information. And if you upload information that you take for granted, if you allow the programming of the mainstream media to consume your thoughts, then of course, folks, you're going to be brainwashed into thinking that war is good or whatever it may be, uh, that the chemtrails are normal. It goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. They're putting fluoride in our water supply. There's so many things to talk about when we come back after this quick break intellectual self-defense intellectual uh, self-defense say that five times fast <laughs> totally and, and it's and it's essentially you know we we teach ourselves all these different defense defensive kind of uh, maneuvers whether it's you know martial arts or whatever but for our mind a lot of times we just kind of take in everything and we don't really uh, apply that that high standard of critical thinking 
And, you know, in the end, that's all that deception going unchecked is what causes the majority of the problems in the world. So if you can arm yourself with a form of intellectual self-defense, like the trivium-based method of critical thinking, you can go out into the world and, you know, not be deceived, be certain of your decisions, and find that satisfaction that you're looking for, you know, because we can, we can externalize all the problems. There is this giant elitist hierarchy trying to, you know, enslave us, but ultimately that is only happening because we haven't done enough to, to step, stop that flow from happening. So the real change starts from us first, within ourselves, to educate ourselves, to learn how to effectively educate others, and then when enough people know what's going on, we just all stop giving our power and our energy to the system that's uh, abusing us. A lot of us have been robbed by that system, and it starts with our education system. The Prussian education system sort of gives people this compulsory you know, education in which they're just told to repeat something and that's the right answer and then they test and find that everyone's e equal. Uh, there's a lot of things we can talk about when it comes to education that I, I know both of us are very interested in and I know a lot of our listeners are interested in. And uh, you work at times with the School Sucks podcast. What a great podcast that is, right? Yeah, Brett Finot, uh, you know, I came to it through uh, Richard and, and Jan were fans and also uh, through Stefan Molyneux's uh, Free Domain Radio. But, uh, yeah, the School of Sucks podcast, man, Brett articulates, you know, what's wrong with the, not just the education system, but how just our viewpoints towards children and youth in general is really, you know, one of the major causes of how we imprint all this negative conditioning onto this next generation and then wonder why there's such conflicts, you know what I mean? So I would definitely recommend people check out his podcast, Brett Finot's School Sucks Podcast. And check uh, out that valedictorian yeah. talk that that girl gave. How cool was that? Yeah, Erica Goldson. She she is really cool, and especially for someone so young, she's, she's learned a, a lot of great wisdom in such a short time, and, and she was brave enough to share it with everyone, you know? Well, this has nothing to do with age. The, the kids that learn the trivium, they get this stuff. This is something that I think transcends age. It has to do with... Uh, the mind and you know you know this is something that is another example of how people from all spectrums of life seek enlightenment if you will yeah well and that's the thing right like you said age doesn't really matter and i think it's really that she that erica was able to uh to select the right books to read to get some perspectives that were a little outside the mainstream but that you know she's very clearly an educated speaker and someone who knew what she was talking about in terms of the experience she had just gone through with high school and, and that kind of form of education compulsory. So, you know, I'm glad that, that her video, the valedictorian speech has gotten so much publicity because it needs to not only get there to show older people that the youth are thinking, but to also show the other youth that thinking is cool, that, you, you know, you can, you can read books and think about things deeply, not just shallowly. And it's actually cool. But what seeds do we need to plant in which these people are going to break free from their conditioning? It's got to start somewhere. It's, it's, you know, kind of the troubling thing is what issue is the best issue to do that with? I don't know. And I don't know if anybody else does as well. Well, I think that you can find a relevance to a certain situation, right? Like, you know, if you happen to be talking about terrorism, then you could bring up the idea of false flags and just, you know, you don't have to make a, a um, in part of your position necessarily is ask other people what their positions are and kind of get a flavor for where people are at in terms of their education and then you'll know what seed in your arsenal to try and plant right and you know there's a, a thing about planting seeds you don't just you know 
drop a seed, kick some dirt on it and walk away. You're, you know, you've got to water it from time to time. You've got to make sure you dig into the soil a bit and, and don't just leave it on the surface, but plant it in a deeper way. And how and, about this for an analogy? It has to be the right season. Well, that's true. I think, you know, people, if, if somebody is already annoyed with something and you try and bring up something that's going to challenge their paradigm, like this gentleman who was at the water fountain with you, mm-hmm. you know, on another day, he might be more receptive to that information. But in that day where he's maybe he had been working out or whatever, and he's just at the water fountain, you know, it'd be like if somebody, you're at a urinal or something, and somebody's like, so how about that 9-11 and that Bin Laden? I guess you could have a conversation there, but it might feel a little awkward, right? So, <laughs> so like you said, t- timing is everything. And then, uh, you know, knowing which seeds to plant, how far down to plant it. But the, the key thing is, is once you do plant that seed, it's there. It's in the, it's in, embedded in that person. And you don't know who's going to come along later on and water it. You know, they might even water it unknowingly. And I, you know, hundreds of people that I've talked with at the beginning of, uh, of my journey, I've watched them come around. And not all of them come around at the same pace or the same time, but it's, something in their own life that they come across, some piece of media that they see in the right context, suddenly all the seeds that I've planted throughout the years suddenly start blooming at different times I and it comes that back as well. to me. Isn't that so amazing? It's encouraging as heck, man. You know, they I, come I, back to me and they say, you know, hey, Bob, you know, hey, Paul, you know, that thing you said about the Federal Reserve, hey, you know, I've been thinking about it. And you're like, wow, man. And it, know, it gives you this, this sense of, you know, feeling intuitively that you're on the right path and that... You know, when other people start to see this, it makes you feel good. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, I, I describe it as, you know, spiritually fulfilling in that you're you're trying to raise each other's consciousness. You're trying to raise each other's vibration, I guess you could say. And through proper education that's not based on fear but based on empowerment, you can do that. You're, you're in, essentially infecting other people with consciousness and trying to get them to a higher place of understanding because... Once we get all get to a place where we're communicating in a in a conscious and nonviolent way, we're going to make so much progress. It's the, the root cause of all these conflicts is the way we communicate with each other is domination based. It's mostly mm-hmm. conflictual. We're we're competing with each other. We're always trying to to communicate with our judgments and our and our uh, you know prejudices. And because of that, it doesn't allow a lot of progress to get you know, made because we're stuck in that kind of status quo. I'm glad quote. you brought that up. Let's talk about nonviolent uh, communication for a little bit. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Well, I, I recently was able to watch Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication videos on YouTube, which there's an abundance of them for free. And uh, we actually did an episode of P- the Peace Revolution podcast where Richard Grove, Lisa Arbacheski, myself, and uh, one of my business partners, Robert Christie, we talked about nonviolent communication. And the idea is is this. You're trying to get at the root of somebody's needs and their feelings and letting go of the judgments and, and all the, the baggage that you have attached to, uh, to someone or some idea so that in communicating with them, you can identify each other's needs, each other's feelings around those needs and actually try and fulfill those needs for each other without, it's, it's about finding win-win scenarios as opposed to mm-hmm. the, the status quo which states for every person who wins, someone must lose. And uh, so it requires you to, to communicate a little more creatively and a little less judgmentally. But the end result is the person you're talking to actually listens to what you're saying. It's this amazing thing because you're trying to communicate what you think their needs and feelings are. And then suddenly they're, they're like, hey, you, you're, think, you're putting yourself in my shoes. I appreciate that. So now I'm going to try and put myself in your shoes. And then you appreciate that. And then look what you've got. You've got this dialogue going where, you know, five minutes ago you hated each other and now you're actually listening to each other. 
I need to learn how to do this. Everybody tells me I'm an abrasive, angry, c- crazy conspiracy guy. I need to learn about this. <laughs> well, it's it's just one of the aspects of you know proper rhetoric. I think it's important to notice to note that the word rhetoric is usually said in a negative connotation, but all rhetoric really means is to communicate, to to have the wisdom to communicate. And so there's deceptive rhetoric, which is you know that's the politicians and the CEOs and the news media, and then there's there's persuasive positive rhetoric where you know you're communicating an idea clearly without offending somebody's sensibilities, and they're actually listening and hearing what you're saying and applying their critical thinking to it. So I think you know when we're trying to communicate these big ideas, these conspiratorial ideas, to find the best way to plant a seed without it being rejected is to use nonviolent communication. Yeah, yo. You can change everything right now, man. You just gotta do it. You know what I'm saying? It's on you. You can be the seed. Just gotta do it. Every second that we're living, we're giving another chance to change it all. Recall to the plans of your past and your remaining fall. Contained by walls too destitute for the future chance of your stances in the now. It allows you to move from root to branch. The truth expands if you act instead of contemplate. While wait for shit to change, remain in a cesspool of that constant state. I am awake to the fate that only actions will make. Place no faith and try, rather apply to what I will create. Procrastinate in a passive state of it can be done. Capitulates to the feet and now you'll be before you even begun believing becomes a very essential part of knowing the truth the youth shows potential but it won't grow if it don't produce excuses a mental block to stop us from attaining goals and holds us back from reaching the stars as far as complaining goes it's so hard but in regards it's what gives us our minds find yourself at the bottom it ain't a problem if you're driven to climb i find my resolve when i'm faced with the doubts of my soul i know i may fall but give it my all to crawl out of that hole there's no walls that i would call impossible Possible obstacles, improbable as it might show it is all psychological I flow with the methodical possibilities endless Transcendence, tranquility, hone abilities in a tempest They say pretentious, I say prepare away from my entrance Evanescence is the moment I'm trying to own it every second We exist in an hour, so don't allow yourself to be chained to sorrow Carve all that pain and what you gain to help you change tomorrow No borrow time, we define what the future holds Be bold in a task, a place in a path that you choose to go Existing and now, don't allow yourself to be chained to sorrow. Call the wall to pain and what you gain to help you change tomorrow. No borrow time, we define what the future holds. Be bold in the task of blazing the path that you choose to go. While waving the changes now, never bow to your fate, you can change the route. Don't doubt what you make, generate the path that your craft will make one day surpass. Every flash in the pan with a lasting flame to attain that fame from a critical claim. Don't change to a limit, no finish in sight. We start, chase all limitates, life so ignite every minute that we're given a breath. Cause the best undiminished by the goodness of death, so blessed, the infinite, no pinnacle. Cap me, rap formidable, minimal max, lost actors, citadel, literal kings of the ring, centrifugal, original swings, so these things is difficult, mystical maze, telemade, analytical, pivotal, praise in an age, metaphysical, miserable slaves, accolade to the pitiful, criminals pay, so fade, invisible, a picture yourself in a self-made business, of riches and wealth, don't shelf with your gift is, give it its due, one day them critics may give it to you, stay true to the finish, don't diminish your work, cause it's worth every cynic in a minute, so hurt, so burst, every limit, be in it to search, what lurks in a minute, you will to desert, so first, see the image inside of your mind, the ground three times harder when you start a design, cause the harder to climb, then the greater the game, and if your brain can't create then maybe it changes it's a crazy claim that it can't be done Cause your tongue commands what a man becomes We exist in an hour so don't allow yourself to be chained to sorrow Call the all that pain and what you gain to help you change tomorrow No borrowed time, we define what the future holds Be bold in the task of blazing the path that you choose to go Exist in an hour, don't allow yourself to be chained to sorrow Call the all the pain and what you gain to help you change tomorrow No borrowed time, we define what the future holds
was uprooted from a sour past Now I sit in a paradigm shift And watch time slip from the hourglass Feel fate focusing, closing in on this narrow path Like the last of the Spartans surrounded on that mountain pass And I am Leonidas, screaming tritus But a fleet behind us is a need for violence When you're freedom fighting, especially against these demon hybrids Scream through silence like a stream of silence Like we are the team that will seek to find it These are the beliefs that are free your mind with Dreams are timeless, can't redefine it Sleeping giants, we are rising to the occasion A lot different than what I wrote in an old basement Open flames, ropes and chains to keep my soul casing What they offer the altarist soul just won't change them So flagrant lies spoke, those agents slice ropes Swinging for the fences despite those curveballs that life throws Me and my brother took it farther than you might hope While your internal engine sounds like rookie calls and a bike spoke That's right, cold, they make excuses Hot dope, we're ready for hella high water and neither brought a lifeboat But right before I croak I wanna burn an eighth out of a Ben Frank So I can leave on a high note Can't forget tomorrow Next time I'll get to borrow It supersedes gold So I treat my soul like precious cargo Wanna bark yo like I ingested charcoal We ain't people They see us as a wretched collection of barcodes There's depressing parts I never let it affect my heart though I use the rhymes of writers Guiding light when I tread the dark road Decorate my heart like an impressive art Show. Existentialist saluting the future with his third metacarpal We better start show Every breath is a clock ticking Every second is death And a step towards not living Yeah, the plot thickens But if you're not willing to get up off your ass And switch the plot Then stop bitching I shot writings about how it needs to be a lot different If I misuse this all for fun The balls become a locked prison Truth is gone missing And I'm a hop skipping a jump from drop Kicking you chumps and punks who forgot to listen my religion is musical shamanism, quantum physics, knowledge, wisdom, and a dollop of solipsism. Can't stop my mission. I see through your plots of fiction like an obstetrician with God's cosmic vision. So as the pressure mounts, I'll leave the offensive that heaven mounts. Let righteousness reign, or frame to end the drought. And what my mental sprouts will envelop your religion clout. I'll give it every ounce of my heart, and I never doubt. What else would you expect to come out of a rebel's mouth? A rebel, yeah, walking out of the depths. To hell holding a devil's scalp I spoke to God at the Temple Mount He said do not wait, treat life like a clock face Every second count Well, uh, the first thing I'd like to say is I really didn't see this one coming. Um, I certainly thought that they were putting Hillary in there. Uh, I think what may have changed uh, the decision to um, uh, steal the election if required um, is her health situation. I think they realized that her health is in such bad shape that she might not uh, last through any significant amount of uh, even a first term in the presidency. Um, and again, uh, it's the idea that the, the idea that has to be understood is that wh whoever's in this position is simply a figurehead slash puppet. Um, it really isn't going to make that large of a difference as far as the end goal of what our lives are like. Um, that being said, I don't think that Trump is uh, as much of a globalist insider as is Clinton. Um, so it should be interesting to see, uh, you know, as his um, presidency unfolds, how much he's going to really attempt to butt heads with the true powers that be uh, behind, you know, behind the scenes. Um, 
because as we know, whenever that happens with somebody in a high enough level of a position of power or even figurehead power, uh, it usually doesn't end well for them. Um, hence, you know, what happened to John F. Kennedy uh, and, uh, you know, other people who had a significant amount of influence uh, with large numbers of people. Uh, that being said, I think um, Trump is kind of like somebody who uh, has played ball with them in the past, clearly. Uh, and he just sees like that um, they're the lower level people are all going to be thrown under the bus, so to speak. I think he's somebody who sort of realized that early on and decided he wasn't going to play ball with their full agenda. Uh, as far as how much he'll be able to actually do in this position, I'm not particularly hopeful. That's why I don't really put any faith or stock in po politics at all, personally, uh, as you know, many of the, much of the listening audience will uh, know already, um, I am an anarchist and don't believe in the legitimacy of any form of government. So, um, you know, I am not a supporter of either one of these puppet figures, but, uh, you know, realizing that Hillary Clinton is B Bilderberg Steering Committee, uh, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, uh, you're, you're dealing with an avowed lifetime globalist there, whereas Trump is just, you know, he's kind of like the newer member of the club and might still have a little bit of uh, conscience not to go along with the agenda of these people. But again, we'll see how that plays out in the future. As they say, time will certainly tell uh, whether this person is in any way as genuine as he claims to be. He's uh, talked quite a big talk, but let's see if he actually does try to implement anything that goes against the, the globalist agenda that they have advanced thus far. It should be pretty interesting to see in the future. Um, as far as putting stock in any politician, uh, I just see that as uh, extreme childlike naivete. And um, if people think that any political figure is going to solve the problems of the, the world long term or quote unquote rescue us or save us, um, they are going to be sorely disappointed. Um, this whole thing is about uh, having to change your own mind, having to change your own uh, consciousness and, and ultimately having to change your own behavior. And uh, I think that's why politics is uh, ultimately so popular is it uh, somehow promises that uh, we can have all these positive uh, external manifestations in the real world without going through that internal process of change in consciousness and ultimately change in personal behavior. And uh, of course, that's not true. That's, uh, of course, a lie. That can't be done. You can't have those external changes without the associated internal changes in consciousness and behavior. And um, sadly, uh, I want to be fully honest about what I see happening in the world um, as far as this true work that we need to do, this true great work of, of change in ourselves and our, and our own consciousness and our own actions is concerned. Uh, I'd kind of like to, in the light or in the reference frame of this uh, most recent election here in the United States for the presidency, um, give people a take uh, on where my personal viewpoint is and has been over the last uh, you know year or so, um, because um, if I have to be perfectly honest, and uh, I want to, I want to um, caveat this with uh, that I want to say what I feel like I have to say regarding this, 
um, and be perfectly honest. Yet I don't want to be completely berating either. I want to try to temper this because it's not what I have to say is not really good. Um, I don't really see the awakening that many other people see. I, uh, I mean, and I've considered that perhaps it's the area that I live in, which is a very, very low consciousness area in the United States, which I'll get to in a moment because it actually plays into what we you, you opened up the whole interview with. Uh, the the place where I'm at is the place where this country was founded. It's Philadelphia. I'm within walking distance where I live uh, of, uh, you know, uh, old city Philadelphia, which is where the Declaration of Independence was was signed and uh, where the founding fathers actually meant to be begin this country. So, um, uh, but to go back to my personal take on where things are, are at with humanity, um, I think that people are as lost as they have ever been. I think that, and I think it's getting worse, not better. I think that all the new forms of media have actually even further confused people instead of waking them up. I think that people have their head up their rear end, so to speak, okay? It is really, really worse than what I, what I have told anybody in the past. I think people are constantly looking outside of themselves. I think people are constantly um, acting in a very childish and naive way when it comes to the understanding of the illegitimacy of government. They think it's all legitimate. They think it's all just fine. They think life is fine. Life is comfortable. Um, a lot of people don't see the problem. Many people, when you tell them that slavery is taking place and that you are actually a slave and that you don't really own any property that you think you own, um, are confused, go glassy-eyed, don't understand what you're saying to them, actually believe that they're free, actually believe that they're uh, protected and comfortable. And uh, I think part of the problem is that they are too comfortable. I think part of the problem is they um, don't really see the absolute evil all around them. They don't see the, the psychopaths that are in the halls of power. They don't see um, all of the uh, degradation of human rights and freedom that's taking place all around them. They don't see that they're ruled by criminals and they don't care. They don't care that criminals have the reins of power. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, all of this stuff that just recently came out about how uh, Clinton's campaign manager was involved in dark occult rituals and uh, how her, um, you know, uh, friends and confidants are connected to pedophile rings. You know, um, this is going on daily, every day. Children are being taken, abused, raped, and murdered by people in positions of power. This goes back all the way back decades, decades before the Franklin cover-up, which people should read about by former Nebraska Senator John DeCamp. You know, I mean, the, the understanding of the pedophile rings that were operating in, in, in Oklahoma and in Nebraska, I mean, it's just... Uh, and this is this was nationwide. The, these people these people were trafficking these children nationwide, and you try to explain this to people who even think that they are uh, a little bit conscious and a little bit progressive or a little bit on the libertarian bent, and they don't understand it at all. They don't want to look into it at all. They don't want to hear the word occult. They don't want to hear the word pedophile. You know, they they are walking around. People are walking around in the modern day completely blindfolded. 100% ignoring, I shouldn't say 100%, but the vast overwhelming majority, over 99% of people are 
absolutely ignoring deliberately the heinous crimes and heinous dark occult involvement, the sick, depraved religion of these people in positions of power. And it's not some of them, Alfred. It's, it's a great deal of these people all have connections to these organizations and groups. These people are vetted by these organizations and groups, which is why I have to say, you know, I think a last minute decision was made not to put Hillary in there and not to contest any of the election results. I mean, you, you, you didn't hear one peep out of the Hillary campaign side regarding this this victory. And it wasn't any kind of a landslide. Some some states had margins of, of votes that were less than a thousand or a couple thousand votes. So, and that's even if you believe or acknowledge that, you know, they're really counting these votes uh, in any way that matters. Um, so, uh, I just think that people are completely blind to what really goes on behind the scenes. They think that these people are just elected, have their interest in mind, and then go and really genuinely try to um, do what's best for the vast majority of, of the people. And I mean, if people still think that in the modern world, they're 100% asleep. They have no idea what's really going on behind uh, the, the scenes in the realms of power in this world. They, they, they don't want to understand because a deep understanding of the absolute evil that we are ensconced in will place firmly upon the shoulders of anyone who does understand it a moral obligation and personal responsibility to act in a way as such that you are doing something about it, to try to raise awareness of it to other people who are still asleep, or to actually take action, physical, real-world action, to make these people stop what they are doing, stop all the abusive rights that they are conducting, stop all the theft that they are doing, stop all the violence that they are doing to people, you know, and when you look at it, it ultimately all comes down to the people who will help and protect and serve this ruling class of people. And this goes back to my work on order followers. You know, it's not the few politicians and bankers and people in occult organizations that are ultimately doing the work to oppress other people. It is the people who follow their orders and conduct absolutely violent behavior against people if they refuse to comply with the dictates of these quote-unquote masters or owners of other people. And they look at them as having total legitimacy, and they say, I'm not going to think for myself. I'm not going to exercise my conscience. I'm not going to decide for myself the difference between right and wrong behavior. I'm just going to listen to what somebody else tells me and then carry out that behavior, because that's easier than thinking. And I think it's a testimony to how asleep the world really is and how much they do, still don't get it. Um, when I personally type in the term order followers into a search engine, and I'm horrified, horrified by the results, because my name is about the only name that comes back regarding anybody talking about the dangers of order followers and them following the orders of their globalist masters. And that's horrifying to me. I would want to be one in a million people who are talking about that dynamic in the world. It, that's what would make me happy. If I had to hunt for my name for hours, 
if I typed in the term order followers into a search engine. If I couldn't find my name because there were so many people talking about it that I had to hunt for my name for hours instead of it being the top search result that comes up when you type in that that phrase. That is a disgusting dynamic to me. And it's proof that exactly what I'm saying is true, that people still don't understand the importance of uh, the uh, illegitimacy of following orders, the illegitimacy of government. And I would really like to start reaching out more to the so-called libertarian community, you know, because I think these are amongst the most most asleep people in the world, to be honest. I think the whole so-called freedom movement has some of the most deeply asleep people, sadly. And here's the reason. Unless you understand the occult world, you are not awake. Uh, I, I just want to reiterate that again and, exp- and try to explain that to people very concisely and clearly. Unless you understand the world of the occult, the workings of the occult, the knowledge that the occult world is hiding from humanity deliberately, you are not awake. Unless you hold the knowledge of the occult, you are not awake. Unless you have actually studied it, gone into it, integrated it into your mind, into your consciousness, you're not awake. You are not a conscious human being. Because ultimately what the occultists, the dark occultists who are ruling this world, who currently are the powers that be in this world, what they have known regarding occult knowledge, what they're, the occult knowledge that they're trying to keep back from the people of the earth, what it ultimately contains is the objective knowledge of the difference between right behavior and wrong behavior. It is objective moral knowledge. And what they are doing is saying, we know what right is, we know what wrong is, and we are willfully trying to insulate ourselves from the consequences of choosing evil over good by getting order followers to do our dirty work for us. And therefore, they see it as the brunt of the karmic debt and karmic consequences that they would receive from having to get their hands dirty and do this vile violence unto people themselves. They're getting other idiots to do that work for them. Follow their orders, do that dirty work for them, and therefore they'll take the karmic consequence of the wrong behaviors being chosen and enacted unto others. And that is what the dark occult has ultimately done. They have turned natural law upside down on its head by getting people to follow their dictates and follow their orders and do the behaviors that they don't have the guts to do because some of these people are such weaklings that they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. And at the first sign of any kind of physical reprisal, they would wet their pants. And, you know, this is part of the problem is that other people in their absolute ignorance are still willing to listen to what these people tell them to do. And I see absolutely zero sign of that changing. I see zero sign of people uh, quitting their jobs in those capacities in the, in the police and military and in government in general. I see absolutely no change in the um, viewpoint, in the worldview of people regarding order followers. I don't see people that think that order following is an absolute uh, degradation of the human soul. I think people, I see people who just think it's, it's perfectly fine to take these positions in the world, to take these jobs. And I don't see any 
any um, uh, sign or um, proof that this dynamic is changing whatsoever. I see a very insignificantly tiny pocket of people in the world who are even looking at this data, who are even looking at this information, who are not ignoring it. And what they generally do is take in the information and do nothing with it and just, you know, say, oh, now I know. And, and they think that that's all that they need to do. And I don't see the truth community deeply growing in any way that is is of any significance whatsoever because I, I see a lot of dross coming into the whole truth community, to be honest. I see a lot of content that is, quite frankly, garbage. I don't see anybody touching on the main points of objective morality. I don't see anybody touching on the main points of understanding what knowledge the occult holds and hides. I don't see many people talking about the absolute illegitimacy of a ruling class, hence the illegitimacy of government. I don't see anybody talking about the absolute illegitimacy and immorality of following somebody else's orders and not using your own knowledge of the difference between right and wrong, which is what conscience is. I see no evidence that the world is changing in that direction. And uh, it's, it's extraordinarily depressing it, to, to, to know how the, the extent that I have given up my what I have ever wanted to do with my life to do the work that I have done to bring these topics to the the, 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 the to bear in people's minds and to realize that it has had almost an absolute negligible effect. I'm not saying it hasn't changed some people for the better. I'm not saying that what I've done has been completely worthless. I'm, I'm just saying as far as that ball being picked up and ran with, I don't see any evidence of it. I see that I'm an isolated, tiny little pocket, an, an anomaly in the matrix talking about these things. And I, I just don't see people acknowledging it to the point where they are running with that information and teaching it to others and then that having a wider impact in our society. I don't see evidence of it at all. That's where, where I think the world is at right now. I think we are as asleep as we have ever been. I think we are more than ever looking for a savior and looking for external uh, solutions to problems which ha are firmly rooted in the way people think. The problem is firmly rooted in the mind, and I do not see any evidence that people's mindset is changing in, in numbers that are large enough to have any impact in our society to change it. I see people who are 100% ignorant, 100% asleep, 100% unconscious, unconscious, having more and more children and teaching their children the same absolute drivel that they believe in and thinking that they're doing a good thing. You know, all, all of these people who think that they're doing such a good thing by joining organizations, uh, you know, I, I mean, people involved in promoting politics and, and violence through government is at an all-time high. I mean, my doorbell has not stopped ringing nonstop by people from political organizations coming to people's homes to try to persuade them to get involved in the process of voting for a master. I mean, and they think they're doing something good, and they have looked into nothing. If you talk to these people, they know nothing about 
anything. They don't know about geoengineering. They don't know about genetically modified food. They don't know about the dangers of pharmaceuticals. They don't know about the dangers of the medi established medical system. They know nothing about fractional reserve banking. They don't know anything about the Federal Reserve System. They know absolutely zero about the occult, and if you say the word, they run away. They have absolutely no idea about the illegitimacy and violence that's inherent in government. They have absolutely no idea about objective morality and the difference between right and wrong. They're all moral relativists, and they love it. They love it. They love voting for masters. They love not knowing the difference between right and wrong. They love thinking that uh, everything is just uh, uh, arbitrarily up to us to decide what right is and wrong is. They have no moral or logical contradiction that there could be a law in one place that allows a behavior and in another place it forbids the behavior and, it, and that behavior is punishable. And they, they could say both of those things can exist simultaneously and I see no contradiction in that. You know, that, because they're moral relativists. They actually believe morality is relative and there is no objective difference between right and wrong behavior. And as such, they will never act upon conscience. They will only ever act upon emotional... Um, uh, um, uh, swaying in one direction or another, uh, emotional outbursts, emotional, um, uh, you know, gauging of information that comes their way. That's all they do is they gauge things with their emotions. They don't have logical thought. They don't care about logical thought. They don't care about morals at all. You know, they just think that whatever somebody votes and decides is law is just fine. And that's the law. And that's what we have to live according to. And this is the epitome of Satanism. This is what Satanism is. I've been trying to explain to people for almost a decade of my life what Satanism is. And I see nobody understanding it. Nobody, get, Hardly anybody getting it. Hardly anybody understanding it. Hardly anybody wanting to do anything with that information. Wanting to take it to other people. And um, even in the, the so-called libertarian communities, it's amongst the worst. When you try to explain to them that these people are Satanists, they don't want to hear it. When you try to explain to them that Satanists own government, Satanists own the police, Satanists own the military, Satanists are running all of these organizations, they're running the police, they're running all of the hospitals, they're running all of the health organizations, they're running all of the banks, they're running all of the media outlets, they're running all the sports distractions. Everything is owned by these people. Everything is completely owned and run by them. And when you say that to people, even within the, the so-called freedom community, they'll try to call you a conspiracy theorist. And there's no theory about it in my mind. I was with these people. I worked with these people. For, for almost a decade of my life, I worked with these people. I know their black-heartedness. I know their level of evil. I know their level of psychopathy. I don't think I know. I wasn't told about it. I didn't read about it in books. I was there with them. I know definitively, 100%. It's not a belief system. It's not a theory, you know? So, and I understand, I realize not everybody has had my experiences and not everybody has been in the positions in life that I've been in. I get it. I understand, you know? So some people are going to have to understand that secondhand. But you know what? There's unimaginable resistance to it because these people love their ignorance. They love what the ignorance implies. The ignorance implies 
I don't know, so I can't be held responsible to do anything about it. And they want it to stay that way. They're willfully and consciously choosing to remain in that fearful level of ignorance. And guess what? That's the worst place anybody can be. And that's where I see the majority of the human species at. I see them at that place in unconsciousness. And that's one of the worst places that you can possibly be at. And I don't see any evidence that it's changing in any large scale way, not in any way that reflects large numbers, numbers large enough to actually tip the dynamics in our society into a different way. People will insist that the whole thing with Trump is a sign that, oh, people are waking up and, you know, they're they're ready to do things differently and they're voting a non-politician into office. You know, well, we did the same thing with Ronald Reagan, you know, and what happened as a result? You know, they took a shot at him in his first couple months in office, and then he said, whoa, I know who really runs things, and did, didn't do a damn thing after that. Went perfectly along with all of their agendas right after that. I don't see any evidence that that will change, especially since Trump has, uh, you know, a significant family as well. So um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's all a pipe dream that any of this is going to be changed with um, politics. It's all a pipe dream that it will be changed by uh, reforming the monetary system or reforming the political system. This is going to require to change anything in this world as evil as it is and as completely broken as it is, is going to take infinitely more of a colossal personal change in consciousness and a complete revitalization of the human will the willpower of the individual is what is going to have to be radically shifted to the greater good to the i mean i mean the greater form of good i don't mean the vast majority of people i mean true goodness real goodness really understanding what good behavior is not the nonsense morals that are taught in religion you know, and all the tolerance that's taught in the New Age movement as well. We shouldn't have the level of tolerance for evil and bad people that we do. This is another big distraction and another huge um, uh, disservice to humanity. The, the New Age movement that has taught all kinds of absolutely erroneous spiritual concepts to people is what's allowing this evil to continue to reign unchallenged. You know, the idea that we shouldn't be angry, the idea that we shouldn't want any kind of retribution against these people for the absolute horrific evil that they have done unto children. I mean, when you, uh, I, I highly encourage people, just watch the, 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 the video Conspiracy of Silence. Watch the video Who Took Johnny. Read the book, The Franklin Cover-Up, and you will understand that these are people in the positions of power in this reality, and they are absolute pedophile Satanists. They are raping and murdering small children. Read the new Podesta email link, leaks that came out of WikiLeaks, okay? Understand they have an entire system of child trafficking set up in this nation. That they have code words that they use in their emails to describe small boys and small girls that they are trafficking amongst each other. John Podesta himself saying... Um, uh, my, 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 my partner is, is out Re emailing somebody. My partner is not here for the night. I want pizza for an hour. I mean, who even talks like that? Who says you want pizza for an hour? 
You know, you don't say you want pizza for an hour. You might say you want pizza in an hour. And who who orders pizza only when their partner is gone? You know, this the word pizza in the whole pedophile pedophilia rings has been a known code word for a small girl for decades in the black web and in the in the black market community, the 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 criminal black market community. You know, they're talking about. Um, pasta and and hot dogs you know well you you think you think the the elite of the world are eating hot dogs and and and, and pizza you don't think they're going to the finest dining restaurants in the world with the finest foods and finest uh, wines and stuff like that like you, you really think they're sitting at home emailing each other about whether they're going to have hot dogs or pizza for dinner i mean you got to be an absolute mental midget you have to be the biggest moron on earth if you think they're not talking about the trafficking of children. You know, what do you think he's going to have for an hour? It's not going to be pizza, okay? And you, know, you look at all the other uh, leaked documents that came out about how they blackmail uh, uh, people up to the level of presidency. As in Nixon, all these new documents on Nixon being involved in pedophilia have just recently come out. Involved with the former Australian prime minister who brought young girls to service, rich service, Richard Nixon on his plane, on his private plane in Australia. The, the girl drew vivid images of being led up to the runway to the plane, going up the stairs of the plane, onto the plane, Richard Nixon being on the plane, and then being forced to per, uh, perform sexual acts with Richard Nixon, a 10-year-old girl. I mean, you, it's, it's, it's hideous that this is, has gone on for over a century and is continuing to go on today. There's no change in any of this. This is continuing as rampantly as it ever went on. And, you know, everybody's just trying to make excuses. They say, oh, no, this isn't evidence of pedophilia. Nonsense. You know, it's, it's not even a, somebody being a naive child about it or being fearful about it. They like it the way that it is. I, I'm, I'm the person who's going to say these people are as black-hearted evil who ignore this as the people who are doing the crime. Well, you just think about it. What, it. Arguably, is it not just as bad for somebody to sit there and watch somebody do a heinous crime? If you have the ability to do something about it to stop it, as the person who's conducting the violent behavior. It's practically just as bad. Some people will say it's not quite as bad. You're not the one actually doing it. You're the one allowing it to continue. That's what's going on here. That's what's going on in America. People completely allowing this absolute hideous behavior to be enacted upon small children. And they're not, they're not trying to go to these people and storm their homes and take them out and do and con conduct justice upon them. They're not trying to get them arrested and thrown into a pr prison cell. No. They're making excuses for them and saying, oh, you don't really have proof of that. No. You can't extrapolate what they're talking about. When that's a known code word, when these same words they're using, they didn't even bother to change them, are known code words in the black market community for child trafficking. Because that's what they are. They're child traffickers. They're drug traffickers. That's what they do. They keep pumping all these drugs into society. They're the ones bringing in all, all these substances into the inner cities. 
You know, they're pumping in all of these to keep people docile, to keep them docile. They don't want people as awake as somebody like me. They don't want people as ready to take action as somebody like me. No, they want you docile. They want you accepting, accepting. Now, this is just the way it's always been. This is just the way it's going to continue to be. Just accept it. Forgive, accept, forgive, accept. Yeah, and that'll keep going on, and these people will rule you unchallenged. To a, and they're going to get it to a point where they're going to have you on a cattle car, taking you to an execution camp. And just like the Jews in uh, Germany during the World War II period, you're going to be saying, they're just doing what's right for us, and they're just relocating us temporarily. In concentration work camps, in work camps where Jews were being worked to death in Nazi Germany, there is evidence that they were saying to each other, "This is all just temporary. They're all, they're, you know, they're just relocating us." They were telling that to each other while they were in the death camps. That's how asleep those people were, and that's how asleep the people are today, that they'll be in death camps at some future point, and they will be saying, everything is okay. And that's where I see where the world is at. I don't know, I personally don't know what anybody is talking about when they talk about some type of a worldwide awakening. I see no evidence of it whatsoever. I'm not trying to be dark. I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm not trying to be just depressed and always looking at the negative or the, the, the glass half empty. I'm trying to be as honest as possible about what I personally see in the world on a daily basis. That's all. I, I, you know, I could get a little bit passionate when I talk about these things because it is upsetting. Okay, but I could also just coldly, calculatedly say, I see zero evidence of the dynamic changing in any significant way. You could say, yes, yeah, small, tiny, little fraction pockets, these tiny little slivers that may or may not amount to anything, you know, it, at some future point, depending on where these people take this knowledge, how they distribute it. But right now, do I see any appreciable change happening in the world that, that leads me to believe that humanity is going to somehow be fine or somehow is going to win their freedom? No evidence of it whatsoever. I, again, my, th this is part of the reason. It's not the entire reason. When I come back onto the airwaves and doing a podcast and eventually a video cast again, I'm going to explain to people why I've taken such a long hiatus. Uh, I don't know if I'll get into it today, but part of the reason also is uh, th that has I, I've slowed down with all of this is um, I'm extraordinarily uh, in a very depressed mindset regarding what impact my work has really had or anybody's work telling the truth. Um, I, I don't really see it having that much profound um, positive impact. I see it having impact on a very small scale with individuals, with individuals. Societally, the whole truth-telling community has had negligible impact at all. And that's what I'm really talking about. I shouldn't even use the word my work. I should use the term our work. All of our collective work has amounted to a hill of beans right now. I mean, to be honest, I'm just, I'm just trying to be honest. And I think that can still change. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying we're doomed and there's no hope, okay? But I, I, right now, I have had to take a seat on the bench for a little while because to, to continue to do something that I see as having no movement is draining. 
it's it's completely and totally draining. And I'm sort of waiting for some people to pl play catch up and I'm waiting for other people to take up some of my slack and run with it. Because if I just do it all and I keep putting out this work and nobody else is putting it out in, in any way that's effective, what's the point of one person doing all of that? It's not up to me to do all of that work. That, that This is a shared work. This is not Mark Passio's great work. It's not what it's called. It's called the great work of humanity. You know, we need to be doing this work way in way bigger numbers. And the numbers just are not there. They're not there. And what that's going to lead to is more and more people who are going to look for external solutions or even see external forceful and violent solutions as a stopgap to being able to delay the inevitable slavery of humanity, which is what a revolution is, ladies and gentlemen. What do you think? The American Revolution was conducted by the absolute most uh, conscious human beings uh, w w who had all the spiritual knowledge that they needed to, to uh, uh, acquire. It was conducted by a lot of totally um, ignorant people who just saw, if we don't do this, there's nothing else. That's what a revolution is for. That's what a physical, combative, armed revolution is for. It's the people are all saying, we didn't really get to where we needed to get in mind and in heart. So we got to do this with weapons. And that's coming. That's going to come inevitably, invariably, unwaveringly must occur. If the change does not happen in consciousness, the change must occur physically. It, it won't be the change we need. It will be a change, though, and it will be a bloody horrific change, okay? But it will invariably, unswervingly go to that end result. And then we will get the new opportunity, which is why it's called a revolution, to then do it the right way again. And if it doesn't happen the right way again, we'll do it with blood again and continue to do this cycle over and over and over again. And that's, you know what that is the definition of folks. That's a little thing called hell, which is where we are. That's where you're at. Okay. If you haven't figured it out yet, we're stuck in a hell cycle of doing the same thing over and over again in pure ignorance and insanity which is what insanity is, just doing the same thing, thinking you're going to solve the problem when it never has worked that way. Because people don't want to get the knowledge of the difference between right and wrong. They don't want to get the knowledge of the occult, the hidden knowledge about how the laws of nature and the laws of morality work. Understand that this is what is ultimately being hidden from you by these people who are ruling over you because they are in that level of knowledge and you're in that level of ignorance. And until people open their eyes to what the occult is and understand that this is a tool, that it can be used for good or evil, and that the people who hold the knowledge right now are evil, and they're using this knowledge for their nefarious purposes, keeping people in ignorance of it, nothing is going to change. This is why I, out of all the people I ever encounter in the so-called freedom movement, I would say... If I had to give an estimate, one in maybe every four or 500 have any working knowledge of the occult, if that, and I might be being generous, okay? And we believe somehow 
that the people in this movement are going to be responsible for some grand change in human life? I mean, the, the people who are following these people are the blind leading the blind. It's the, it's, it's the blind following the blind. Because they have not hit upon any of the genuine, real topics that need to be discussed. And many of them are scared because their own peer group will frown upon them as they frown upon me. I'm telling you, libertarians look at me like I'm a demon. They don't want to hear any of the stuff that I talk about. They don't want to hear it all. They want people blowing smoke up their rear ends, telling them there's going to be a financial solution to the crisis we face. We, the, we're going to vote the right person into office one day from the Libertarian Party. He's going to get in there and make all the changes that are needed to be made. That's what they want to hear. They want, they want somebody amongst their own rank blowing smoke up their rear end. They don't want to hear somebody saying order followers are going to have to quit their jobs because they can't even imagine that happening. And I tell them, you got to give up the notion of the belief in money. Money's a religion. They can't even imagine a society that doesn't have a monetary system. And many of them can't even imagine the, the, uh, a society where authority isn't looked at as, as legitimate and we don't have a government government or a ruling class anymore they can't even see that is how devastated their imagination is in the community that is advocating for rights and more rights and more freedom and they think they're going to get it by these political and financial measures they're delusional delusional people they, they, they don't understand that this is not about changes in politics or finance. This is about a change in consciousness. This is about changing the way you think about reality. And you tell that to people and they're like, whoa, whoa. You stay right there and keep saying that. I'm going to run this way as fast as I can. Because they don't want to hear it. That, that, that's what's required of your change in your mind and in your heart and in your behavior. No, they don't want to hear that. They want everybody, they want people doing this. It's that, it's that, it's that, it's that. No, it's you. It's you that's the problem. See, that's what it is. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop doing this and you got to start doing this. When people start doing that, that's when I'll admit that there's some change in consciousness taking place on earth. But right now, I'm sorry to say I don't see it. Maybe it's because I live in a communist community. I am in one of the largest communist strongholds on earth right now. That's what Philadelphia is. Philadelphia has been 100% taken by communists. Okay, that this needs to be understand, understood by people not only who happen to have the misfortune of living in the city of Philadelphia, but all of the United States. People who live in the United States really need to understand that, in particular, the, the, the three cities of Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and New York, New York, are 100% communist taken. To a slightly lesser extent, Boston as well. Okay? These cities are taken by communists. Okay? 
and people still don't know what communism is. You know, they don't understand it. Now, I tell people, have you ever looked at the high holidays of Nazism, communism, and Satanism? Just look up that little dynamic. Find out what the high holiday of Nazism was, the high holiday of communism was and is, and the high holiday of the dark occult community. And you'll discover something quite interesting. Okay, do it to confirm what I'm about to tell you, but they're all the same. It's the same day of the year. Out of 365 possible choices, you would think that Nazism, communism, and Satanism would somehow have enough room to find a, a different high holiday for the ideologies that they represent. But no, they're all the same. May 1st, Valpurgis Noct, May Day. Okay, because all of these things are the same, then there's, there's no difference between them. They want total control. They want enslavement of the human species. They want the de destruction of objective morality. They want the destruction of natural law, meaning the laws of morality and the consequences that people receive by choosing either moral behavior or immoral behavior. They don't they want to be insulated from that natural law, that moral law. Okay, and they want 100% total destruction of the human soul. And they have largely accomplished it already. They've largely accomplished it. Because all I see out in, in the community, when I walk outside my house in this community, it is a collection of brain-dead, soulless zombies who do not care about right or wrong at all. They don't care about the difference between right and wrong. They want somebody else to guide their lives, to run their lives, to give them free stuff, okay? They are totally identified. See, they identify my team, my sex, my race, my income bracket, my political party. They're totally ego-bound and ego-identified with what's mine. What it, This is related to me. My little, small, little ego. And so I'm going to just do, it doesn't make a difference how criminal this, this, this person is. She's a woman. She's a Democrat. I'm going to vote for her. You know? And other people will say, oh, it doesn't make a difference how criminal or how dastardly or, or horrible mindset this other man is. You know? I'm a man. I'm going to support him. I'm going to support this. It's like, I don't want to support anybody. I want to support what's right. I want to support right over wrong. It's the only factor of consideration that I take into consideration. That's it. It's the only factor I take into consideration. I'm not interested in what's going to make me more money. What's going to make me more popular? What's going to have me have more friends? What's going to have me have more possessions? I don't care. I don't care about any of that stuff. The only thing I care about is, is it right? Is it moral? That's it. The end. And you ask People out on the street, uh, look, you could ask this to people in the freedom movement, in the libertarian community. What is a right? The vast overwhelming majority of the human population cannot tell you the definition of a right. Cannot do it. 
How do you possibly expect that we are going to be able to preserve any modicum of human rights when people in the overwhelming majority of the population don't know what a right is? And but, but there's a huge awakening happening in humanity, folks. The overwhelming majority of the human population can't speak the words to another person of the definition of a right. And yet, there's a huge, massive shift in consciousness happening. I mean, th this is this is how bad it is, you know. And I again, I wish I could come and give people an update, uh, you know, a a report to tell them it's all getting better. We're ma making moves in the right direction. I see it all changing. I would love to do that. I'd love to be able to do it. I'd love to, but I cannot in good conscience. I think, in many ways. If I, if I did that, I'd be doing a complete disservice to humanity by, by lying to them to make them feel good about where things are headed. And I see communist think tanks that have taken over the school system. This is why. What is an interesting dynamic to look at when you watch you know, the uh, television reporting of this election, this recent election? The dynamic I did find interesting, Alfred, was looking at the absolute discrepancy and di disparity between the um, uh, concentrated urban communities and all of the rural communities in the United States. Almost invariably in every single state, in the most concentrated urban centers, in all the cities of America, the Democratic Party ruled completely. And this is because their movement is toward total socialism. Their movement is toward socialism, which then acts as a foothold to get communism in installed. Okay? And this is proof that the, the plan of the European think tanks that recognized that the Bolshevik Revolution tried to take power too quickly and did it militar uh, militaristically um, was a long-term failure. And that's why communism fell and it fell in the Eastern Bloc country. It fell in the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc countries. They re-established this plan shortly after the Bolshevik Revolution centered in the think tank called the Frankfurt School, which is in Germany. And the Italian communist Antonio Gramsci, who was one of the influential members of the Frankfurt School at that time, uh, came up with the concept of the long march through the institutions. This is something all of your listeners should already be familiar, familiar with if they are not, and should research if they are not familiar with it. Antonio Gramsci, the long march through the cultural institutions, the Frankfurt School of Germany. It's a political think tank. They recognized that it would be far more effective to bring communism into the world, worldwide, by doing it through the cultural mechanism instead of a military mechanism. And they recognized that the absolute preferred best way to bring communism into uh, worldwide communities through culture would be to do it through the education system. And in all the urban centers, this plan was instituted in America. They brought people overseas, in, implemented them as point men in the positions of power, particularly in the education systems, and slowly worked more and more of their people who had their mindset 
into the university system in America. That's why what's happening, and anybody who understands this dynamic is, is true, what I'm saying, can see that what's happening in America is in all the urban communities, the children are being massively brainwashed, particularly in colleges and universities, to come out of that system. This is what why they called it in the Soviet Union the outcome-based education system. It's not education at all. It's indoctrination to ensure that anybody who goes through that gauntlet or that ringer is going to come out outcome the way they want them to, thinking the way they want them to think. And this is what's happened in America. And this is why in all the urban communities in America, they vote heavily socialist to almost radically communist. Okay? That's the political uh, variance and spectrum. It goes from moderately socialist to radically communist. And there's nothing else. That, that's 80, almost 85% of the city of Philadelphia voted Clinton yesterday. Eight and a half out of ten people. You can't get that kind of universal agreement on what color the sky is, people. Okay? I mean, you can't get that kind of agreement on whether water is wet in America. Eight and a half out of ten people voted Clinton in Philadelphia, in the city of Philadelphia, although Trump took the state. And here's why. There's only two big urban centers in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, that's it. The rest of, if you've ever driven through Pennsylvania, it's wide open country practically, okay? I'm telling you, the, all of these urban communities, you know, amounted, that's where all the votes came in from. All, uh, I'm sorry, not urban, all of the suburban and rural communities is where all these votes came in from for Trump. And hence he took the state and he was the first Republican to take the state of Pennsylvania since uh, George Bush senior. So, um, I mean, this is what we have to understand that the discrepancy between rural and urban communities isn't just because it's a difference in lifestyle because some of these people grow up on farms or you know have a whole lot of grass and trees around them they're connected to the same media outlets that we are they have televisions in their house they have computers in their house they have internet they have movie theaters you know they're exposed to all the same stuff what what's different is they don't have at the university or college level the same schooling system there their children aren't being run through the ringer through the gauntlet of the communist controlled school system in the urban centers and it's very 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 smart what these people did what these communists did i have to hand it to them they had their strategy down they went to the place where the numbers are that's what you got to do they went to all of the highly populated urban centers to implement this plan. And that's why in every urban community, it's moderately socialist to radically communist. And that's how they vote. You know, instead of saying, instead of all these people saying we're not voting at all, the dynamic that they are voting in, especially in the urban centers, is socialism and communism. Because that's what the Democrat Party has become a represent, representative of. Ultimately, it's all the same thing. It's all going to continue imperialism, warfare, uh, uh, radical divides between uh, finance 
uh, financial classes of people, um, continuing the destruction of rights, continuing the destruction of morality, and ultimately enslaving people. There's no difference between radical right-wing politics and radical left-wing politics. The only difference is in the way they package it, the way they pitch it to people, and in the way they implement it as far as their logistical strategy goes. The end result is always the same. The end goals are always the same. Total control. You know, and yet people still can't see it. I'll attack communists and I'll get called a Nazi. I'll attack Nazis and I'll get called a commie. You know, how about how about being an American who stands for moral principles and doesn't want any of these two satanic ideologies because that's all they are. One's the left wing of the big uh, of the big demon called Satan, and one's the right wing of the big demon called Satan. That's it. That's all it is. That's all they are. They're Satan's wings. That's all. Left wing and right wing both belong to the same guy. You know, I'm not even saying I believe in a anthropomorphized deity known as Satan. It's a it's a concept, people. You know, it, it, it's an allegory. Okay, you know, understand the metaphor. We're talking about evil and how it rules, and evil does rule. Evil right now in the world is more powerful than good in the world. You know, you want to. Talk philosophically about which force in and of itself is more powerful. You can make the argument good is more powerful than evil, ultimately, at, at the highest level of existence. On Earth, however, evil is more powerful than good. There's no question about it. Because more people have taken evil into their mind and heart and accepted it as normal than have taken good into their mind and heart and accepted the fact that they must propagate it to others. You see very few people doing that, talking about objective morality, talking about that order following is not a virtue. I mean, I could count the people doing that in the world on two hands, maybe. Okay? And it, it, until that number grows, I mean, exponentially grows. It has to be millions of people doing that. Like I said, when I type in order followers into Google, I don't want to see my name. I don't want to see my name. That's disgusting to me. That is horrifying to me. I went on to, on to a search engine the other day. I said, let me just see who else has presentations or is talking about or has a podcast or anything on order followers. And I type in the term in double quotes, order followers. Mark Passio, Mark Passio, Mark Passio, Mark Passio, Mark Passio, Mark Passio. Page after page after page, nothing but me. That's sickening to me. Sickening. And I'll start to say maybe the dynamic is changing a little bit when I see that a dynamic like that changing. But I don't see it changing. Don't say I see I stand alone when it comes to talking about that these are the people who are ultimately responsible. Everybody else wants to give them a pass. You know? I mean, I was listening to InfoWars the other day, and I thought Alex was doing a great job and his crew was doing a great job trying to expose the occult with these Podesta emails. And in the next breath, they'll say they support the police. You know, order followers. How could you support the police and the military? I think in a way, you know, I haven't really said much about it. That's why somebody like that isn't, well, doesn't want to bring me on his show. Because all I'm going to talk about is the illegitimacy of authority and the illegitimacy of following orders. That's it. That's all he'll get out of me if he does bring me on, which is now has probably doing this interview has probably solidified that that's never going to happen. 
Whereas I think it could be a very powerful combination because he does expose the occult. And if you want somebody to expose the occult a lot further, you could bring me on that show and I'll do it. But, you know, I'm not going to make any excuses for the people who actually carry out violence against other people. And you know what? That's not these politicians. You know, they're, they're not the ones who are actually taking our rights away from us. The police are. The police are the people who actually implement the taking of rights, not the politicians. The politicians are the ones who come up with the grand scheme to take the rights away from other people. Who actually does that behavior are the police and always have been. And that's why when a totalitarian society takes over, it's called a police state. It's not called a politician state. It isn't called the president's state. It isn't called the governor's state. It isn't called the banker's state. It isn't called the priest's state. It's called the police state because they're the people who are actually implementing the totalitarian violent measures, not the politicians. And people still don't understand that. They still don't get it. They still don't get having that force. They don't even understand the racist origin of the police. And no, this is not a social justice warrior tactic. It's historical fact. Police were originally instituted where slavery, what black slavery was once a, a common practice. And when black slaves were released from their slavery, they were looked at as practically wild animals in the community by their racist former owners and masters, and they implemented police forces in their communities to protect them from what they looked at as uh, horrific, evil, wild animals roaming the streets now, roaming the community. That's the racist origin of the United States police departments, okay? And people need to look into those origins and understand also in the North, they came out of a conglomeration of gangs that were originally running all kinds of, uh, of, of immoral operations in their communities, but yet came together because they wanted to protect their territory. And they didn't want other gangs making encroachments into their territory. And that's a lot of the origins of, of police in the, in the modern day in, in, in the northern part of the United States, especially in the you know, New, New York, New England area. The, the police in America, the origins of them has nothing to do with any m morality or any desire to keep people safe from a truly moral perspective or reason. It came from wanting to stop former black slaves from doing anything harmful to their former masters and from gangs who wanted to protect their communities from the encroachments of other gangs. That's where police, that's the origin of police in America, folks. And nobody knows this. Nobody talks about this. And you think these people are moral people? You think they actually care about what's right or wrong? See, that's the thing. People who get involved in the whole truth-telling business, they, they look at it like, I have to soften everything. You know, I have to soften my tactic, my approach. You, you, you're going to notice with me, folks, if anything, my approach is getting harder and harder core. It's not going in the other direction. It's not going in the direction of tolerance or compassion to evil. It's going in the direction of becoming more and more extremist against evil. Because good should not be wishy-washy. Good should not be weak and wishy-washy. Good should be infinitely stronger than evil. It should be infinitely more resolved and firm than evil is. And I don't see it.
I don't see that. Not in this world. Not, not here on Earth. Slash hell. No. I don't see it. I see people who say they're good saying, let's have tolerance for this. Let's excuse this person's behavior because, oh, he didn't know. She didn't know. Everybody knows ultimately whether they're harming somebody or their, and or their rights or property. To say they don't know is a bullshit excuse, pardon my language. Okay? That's exactly all it is and all it ever has been. I tell people, have you ever been wronged by another person? Do you know what it feels like? Well, then don't do it to other people. And don't give me any nonsense excuse that cops that know they're doing something wrong to other people. Just, they just believe they've been taught it's the right thing to do. Utter nonsense. Sheer nonsense. And that's what that's called is good, be, so-called good, being wishy-washy and making excuses for evil. And, and we content, that's what the role of religion and the New Age movement is, folks. The role of religion and the role of the New Age movement is to say, let's, let's have all this tolerance for evil. I actually attended a speech by a Buddhist. I, can't, I don't even feel like trying to remember his name because of what nonsense it was. And he said, the highest level of enlightenment is total um, tolerance for the cognitive dissonance of others. Really? That's what Buddhism is. That's news to me. I thought Buddhism was understanding the causal factors of human suffering and then trying to allay it by understanding that there is a better path to walk in life than all those factors that caused all the suffering we self-generated. That's what I thought Buddhism was, but I'm sorry, maybe I'm completely incorrect. Maybe Buddhism is looking at somebody else and saying, I know you're an evil bastard, but I have total tolerance for the evil that you commit every day. Sheer nonsense. And this is what the New Age movement wants to propagate. This is what they want to put out there, and this is what religion does every day. You know? And that's the other thing. People want to think that this has nothing to do with religion. You know, I, ju I just told somebody the other day, these people have a sick, depraved religion. So I, I don't care. I don't want to know anything about that. I don't believe in that. I, th I mean, imagine that. You don't want to know what the religious foundational belief systems and ideologies of your owners are, of the people who actually believe they legitimately own you. I'm not saying that they do. It's on all slavery is inherently illegitimate and can never be legitimized. But this is a, here's a person who thinks he's informed, saying to me, I'm not interested in knowing about what their belief systems are. And you think you're going to defeat that enemy. You're going to defeat that enemy without knowing a thing about how they think. Good luck. Good luck. And with, with any co confrontation, battle, combat, if you don't know the enemy, the enemy has you beaten already. And that's where we're at. That we, we, think, we, we think we know what we're fighting. We think we know who we're fighting. We think we know what their beliefs and tactics are. We know nothing about it. And part of that, part of what holds that back is religion. Because religion is owned and controlled by them. And what they want to do is tell you, don't dare ever look into the occult. That's what all religious systems tell you. Don't look into the occult. And there's a reason they tell you that. Because that religion that's telling you not to look into the occult is the occult.
That's them. That's owned and controlled by them, by your owners, by your masters. They don't want you understanding their strategies and mindsets. They want you ignorant of those strategies and mindsets. So they're telling you constantly through religion that you think is so good. Don't look into the mindset and ideology and plans of your masters and owners. Why would they tell you not to look into it? Not because it's evil. No, because they don't want you to grasp the chess strategy that's being used against you. They want the chess master to have all those strategies to himself. And so you sit down at the board and you get your ass destroyed. Handed to you on a platter. Here you go. That's what they want. They want it to be a no contest because the people are in total ignorance and the masters are in total knowledge. And that's what every religion does. Every religion. Because every one of these religions, I don't care whether it's Christianity, Judaism, Taoism, um, Buddhism, um, uh, Islam, they're all designed by these people. They're all designed by these people. All of them. All of the so-called occultic schools, Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, all of it. I'm not telling you, you should know about it all. You should study it all. You should be a generalist and have knowledge about all of these things. But to be a joiner is a different thing. To be a joiner is to give, to have that ego identification and say, I'm going to give my identity to this group. That's what the police do. That's what the politicians do. That's what people who work in government, who work in medicine, who work in law do. That's what people who join sports teams do. That's what people who join these secret societies do. They're not, they're not, they don't care about your rights and your individuality. They care about the preservation of the unit, which is a collective, which is the difference between collectivism and true individuality and individual rights and sovereignty. Even the free man on the land so-called movement does this. Oh, we have knowledge that other people don't. It's like a little secret society clique. Oh, we're, we're going to get our masters to leave us alone and not beat us anymore. And we'll do this through political tricks in their system that they designed, that our masters designed. Yeah. And that's freedom. They're a joke and always have been. And it's another group I've let off the hook way too easily. Another ego-bound, ego-identified groupthink organization, wherever they happen to be. Because it's saying, I'm going to work within the existing evil system to have the evil leave me alone for a little while. And you think you're free. And, you're, and, and by doing all of that paperwork, you're giving legitimacy to that system. They're criminal thugs. They never had any legitimacy. It was never been legitimate, ever, for one second. Ever. I'm sovereign now with no paperwork. And the 45 on my hip will protect my sovereignty when someone tries to take it. And my mind will protect it before my hand ever touches that 45. You know, that's sovereignty. I'm not cooperating no matter what you do to my body. That's freedom. I'm not afraid to die now. I've done what I came here to do. My soul's prepared and ready. 
I spoke out against the evils of this world. I told people what the difference between right and wrong behavior is and how they need to get their mind out of the trash that it's stuck in. Total erroneous belief systems that do nothing but cause division and suffering. I've done it. I'm ready to go at any time, any second, folks. Okay? How many people can say the same? Not many. Not many. So, you know, people within these communities will say, oh, this isn't about religion. This is entirely about religion, folks. People in the so-called uh, uh, political uh, c communities, the free man on the land community, the, the um, uh, so-called freedom movement, okay, libertarians, you try to explain to them this isn't a political ideology. This isn't a political agenda. It's not a financial agenda. This is a religious agenda. What constitutes the rulers of the world is a religious priest class. They invented all the ostensible religions to insulate people from their religion. To tell them, don't ever look into this sick, depraved thing called the dark occult. No, you, you want to remain ignorant of that. Oh, you'll be so pure because you will, you'll have no working operation of how your owners think. Well, but you'll be pure. Ignorance is never pure or good, people. The creator of the universe wants us to be free. Only knowledge is going to be the path to that freedom. And people always want to bring up, you don't talk about Jesus as the Savior. No, I don't. I don't talk about anybody as a Savior. I don't believe in saviors. I believe that work is what is going to save people. Hard work to change consciousness. Effort is going to save people. Care is going to save people. Willpower is going to save people. You develop intelligence, care, and will. Let me tell you something, folks. That's God. That's the trinity that is God. Okay? That's what will save you. Not belief in anything. Belief, two dimes and a nickel will get you 25 cents. That's what belief will get you. And yet, there's radical believers all over the place. This is what my whole presentation at the next Free Your Mind conference is going to be. It's called Fake Ass Christians. I'm just going to absolutely lay into the so-called Christian community because you are nothing of the kind at all. You're no Christian. You're Christians in name only. You, don't, you haven't even deeply looked into what the work of Christ was, who stood against the political establishment of his day, the financial establishment of his day, and the religious establishments of his day. That's what Christ, the allegory of Christ biblically is all about. And people still can't see it, and they still can't see Christ was killed by the police in the allegory. I, t I tell Christians, you know, Jesus was murdered by the police. And they're like, what? Like, I just told them some big shocking revelation. The Roman centurions of the day were the police of their day. They were the acted as the police and military the of the control system of their day. And they're the ones who actually, in the allegorical story, crucified Jesus. How can Christians see that? Why, every time I tell that to a Christian, the police... Jesus to death. Do I get a look like I'm the devil? I, like I'm evil for telling, saying that. When that's exactly what the case is. 
And then these people call themselves Christians. Say, Jesus didn't believe in government. He fought against the Roman government. He didn't believe in money. He fought against the money changers, the modern bankers. He didn't believe in religion. He fought against the Pharisees and, uh, and Sadducees, the established religious uh, sects of his day. And again, I don't care whether you believe in Jesus as a physical person or as an allegorical story. It's, it's irrelevant. It's the lesson contained in the story that matters. People who think they're so religious, you know, have this erroneous notion of morality. Don't really know what the difference between right and wrong behavior is at all. Think they do, and, and they have no idea. They're moral relativists. They believe in the law of man. They say they serve the master, which is the God of creation, and yet they say man can implement his laws on earth. And they can be different everywhere, depending on where you're at or what time, you know, you know what, what time period you're living in. And, and laws can be all different. Yeah. And then they claim that they're Christians and that they serve God. And they serve his laws. I mean, fake isn't even a good enough word for it, you know? I, I, I almost need to come up with something more abrasive and more vitriolic to describe it. They're, they're a total laughing joke if they think they are serving, quote-unquote, God. The only God they're serving is, again, that evil force that ultimately created this whole system of control by continuing to believe in it and accept it. That's the God they serve. So most Christians are worshiping Satan and are Satanists without even understanding what Satanism is or knowing that this is the ideology they even subscribe to, you know? So, I mean, that that's really my assessment, Alfred. I mean, I, I, I welcome any other questions that, that you want to get into or any other topics. If you want to go off on a completely different direction or tangent, that's fine. But I just wanted to get that rant out of my system to um, just say, this is where I think things are, folks. I think they're, I th arguably believe that they are worse than when I started talking. When I started speaking, I think things were better. I think people were a little bit more open-minded and conscious uh, around when I first started speaking back in 2007 publicly. Now, they've tightened the mind control screws way down. And they have, especially the young, people in their 20s are brain dead. Brain dead. They have tightened the screws. They realize, whoa, our formula went off somewhere along the line, and we got to get it back on track. These think tanks did their homework on people, and they are using all the social media, and they are using the, the new you know, technology to absolutely do a, a, a number, a bombardment upon people's psyche, and they're getting it done. They are just, I mean, in a, in a way... I have to have respect for my enemy, and I have to say, they're getting it done. They are, it's brilliant, but what they're doing is, is absolutely magic. It's, I would not think, I would not 10 years ago have thought possible that they could degrade and dumb down a population to the extent that they have. I would not have believed that it was this possible. I, I, I have respect as their, as an enemy for them. I don't have respect for as a human being for them, but as strategists and the enemy in this great spiritual war, they have my profound respect. You know, that's the whole 
thing here, Alfred, is people have to talk about this openly and really have their facts right and talk about it very matter-of-factly. You know, um, a lot of people are afraid to do that. They're afraid of what their their peers will think of them, their family members, their friends, etc. And if those people don't take a stand with you against evil, they're not your friends or your true family, you know? Uh, it, it, this is part of what I see, is um, people saying, I can't conceive of that or accept that that's what the world is and that's how far we've come in, into evil, you know? Well, then you're not really paying attention to reality. And you could ignore reality, but you can't ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. Uh, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing now the consequences that we're receiving for ignoring uh, the difference between right and wrong and, and ignoring all the evil that has been allowed to go on around us unchallenged. Um, the, the cycles, I do believe that there are tendencies in consciousness, and it's almost as if there's an ebb and flow to um, uh, the ability of consciousness to move easily or with great difficulty. That's how I look at these cycles. It's like uh, waves uh, coming into the beach. If you're on the beach during very uh, strong, violent waves coming in, it's going to be very difficult to swim out past the breakers. Um, if the ocean is very, very, very calm and there's hardly any waves, you could do that with relative ease. That's how I see cycles. It's not that necessarily you can't accomplish things during certain cycles, but they're more difficult at certain times than at other times because of these tendencies that express. Um, it's like putting a bike, uh, you know, an exercise bike on setting one and riding, a, you know, 10 miles. It's not that difficult to do because there's very little resistance. You're not going to build up your legs that big doing that, though. And you're not going to build up your your um, cardiovascular system that well doing that. But ride the bike for five miles on setting 12, and you have a whole different ball game. But it was much more difficult to do and required a lot more work. But in the end, you end up with a lot more positive result because it was harder for you to do. So... That is how I could kind of look at the, the cycle that we are currently in and what is going on right now, that um, while it is going to be an extraordinarily difficult task, we could emerge on the other side of it much stronger and in a much more powerful and positive position if we do that work. But, you know, that's not guaranteed. I, I, you know, I don't see it as a guaranteed end result that we have to go in that direction. We could go down further and say, you know, people give up, get off the bike, and then they, you know, become uh, fat, uh, lazy, and dead. You know, it, it can go in that direction. We, we, I think, have to not reassure ourselves to the point where we say it's an assured outcome. The outcome is not assured. Evil can win. Evil can take over. And total enslavement for humanity is possible. Total destruction for humanity is possible. I almost kind of see that as being preferable to total enslavement if I had the choice. But um, because life will continue elsewhere, we're not going to escape the lesson. You could say, hey, the grand big lesson ultimately cosmically is 
going to be assured. We're getting the lesson no matter how long it ultimately takes. But um, the question really becomes how much suffering is going to be involved, how much suffering is going to be uh, necessary for this change in consciousness to take place. And the way I see it going, barring no significant um, alterations, is we are choosing as a species the way of maximum pain. That's what I call it, the way of maximum pain. The universe kind of gave us a choice. It's like, hey, here's the, um, you know, uh, deep resistance. I'm going to turn on, turn you up to setting 12 here. Go. You can uh, do this and come out stronger as a result. And we said, no, you know what? Not going to do it. We rather have the pain that comes with being, uh, you know, completely out of shape, sick, unhealthy, and we're going to do it that way. That's what humanity seems to have chosen as far as I'm concerned. At this point where we're at, I wouldn't put any um, yeah. tests or deeds past people who have the apparatchah of government at their disposal because the yeah. system itself is what is this evil, um, monstrous thing. Right, and right. And, and it shouldn't I, exist for man to have the reins of. It just that that's why I'm an anarchist. I don't believe in having all of this quote unquote authority, this illegitimate authority, in the hands of flawed human beings. Exactly. So it turns out that the U.S. Army, I I since went and had uh, interviews with experts in Europe, and the U.S. Army is testing such a technology now. Sure. So you have the convergence of Donald Trump and the U.S. Army. Let, let, let me tell you something. The yeah. technology that exists already, not that they will have in 50 years, but yeah. that they have now, is likenable to literal magic or sorcery. Yeah. Like that we see in Hollywood, var variations of it. This is how advanced the weaponry and technology that they have put into effect. And a lot of it comes from Tesla. A lot of it comes from things that Tesla wanted to do for positive purposes that they've taken and weaponized. Uh, I've actually done a presentation on some of that. But the, the scalar technologies, the interferometry technologies that they have, you know, uh, the holographic technologies that they have, they would be akin to forms of magic uh, if we didn't realize that they were simply a form of a very, very advanced technology. Thousands of years advanced to, to where the public is, is, is accustomed to. I think that um, ultimately people have to become increasingly more aware of the dynamics that are taking place. Be honest about them, not just uh, always look at the positive or bright side of things and not be totally negative and, and you know, depressed all the time about it. I try to maintain a realist perspective and gauge what I'm actually seeing and not tell myself what I want to hear or... Um, look down all the time about everything uh, and what I see currently is depressing me but that isn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not still able to be turned around see I think um, no one has ever really heard me say this can not be done you know I'll, I'll never make that statement because it can be done as long as we change our willpower and we adjust our thoughts and our will to do what we say we want to do, which is attain real freedom and attain a more harmonious society. That is a function of will. That can be done. 
The question is, will we change our consciousness and our will to the extent that is required to make that great change happen? If we do that work upon ourselves, the internal work has to come first. We can make that change happen without having to go through all the pain and suffering that it looks like we're currently choosing. It's still reversible, but knowledge is paramount. You know, biblically, again, I was saying before, in the Old Testament, it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, this is, you know, the people of goodness, or the people of God, however you want to look at it, will be destroyed if they remain ignorant. The, the, the knowledge is of goodness. You know, there is no such thing as bad or negative knowledge. It's only what we do with it. It's whether we have it or not and how we're going to use it. That's what determines whether it's good or bad, whether it's going to result in good or bad. In the New Testament, the only prescription that Christ, the figure of Christ, ever gave for freedom, for the attainment of freedom in the New Testament was, know the truth and the truth shall set you free know the truth that implies it can be known that implies it is knowledge that we are capable of taking into ourselves that will ultimately turn our situation and the human condition around and therefore people have to have a profound respect for knowledge and an appreciation of being able to go into it and being able to transform themselves as a result of that knowledge. That's what I have quote unquote faith in, if anything, is the transformative power of truth. And on that note, I'll just say that if anybody wants to look further into my work, I have a huge body of work on my website, whatonearthishappening.com. There's tons of videos up there. There's 196 podcasts in my existing podcast series, all free content. You could check out my gift uh, donation gift section if you like, and um, uh, you can contact me from there as well. My um, website, once again, whatonearthishappening.com. And uh, hopefully people will avail themselves of all the information that is there on that website.